Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcaster, episode 57. We are back to discuss volume 13. We will probably not get through the whole thing. Uh, if you've been with us on this reread project, these have gotten longer and longer. Uh, the more we've gone, and uh, I mean, anyone who's familiar with Berserk knows that volume 13 is a pretty special volume in terms of the content. Uh, so let's just get started talking about that, about kind of this volume's place in the rest of the series. Um, I mean, I think this volume is pretty much, it's, it's unlike anything else. I think this it can be oversold by some people, but it is, I mean, it, nevertheless, it, it is the crucial turning point for the entire series. I mean, around which, the way the story opens, the events in the Eclipse are kind of like the the fulcrum around the two, uh, you know, frame story element. So we have Guts after the Eclipse from volumes one through three, and then how did he get that way? The Golden Age. And the Eclipse is kind of the, you know, the capitalization point for that whole story arc. So it's the series, also the it's also the series' darkest hour, in my opinion, at least so far. And as I was reading it this time, I was thinking to myself, like, all the things that Guts endures, like seeing him physically at his limit, mentally, emotionally at his limit, like this, I'm just wondering if Mira is going to be able to hit those same notes again when the series reaches its climax, or is the darkest part already behind us, or or not? And well, I don't know. What do you? What are your thoughts on that, Azil? Well, I think uh, yeah, I I actually think yeah, he definitely will be able to get you know to that level and even probably be beyond it. You know, like I mean. The, the the thing that's really big is that beyond everything that goes on, that's pretty traumatic. Everybody dying and everything, and of course, Casca's rape. Uh, Gus loses his arm and you know his eye. But uh, beyond that, we've seen him take a lot of punishment. You know, I'm thinking you know at the end of the conviction arc and uh, even what he's endured since then with the Berserk more, You know, I think I think he's taken a lot of punishment that might be on a similar level. You know, if not for those big, you know, lasting wounds, you know, the arms, the eye, and, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, not not even just the physical trauma of it, but it, having his friends die like that in front of him, to be taunted with their deaths and their bodies, well, for it to be basically a layer upon layer of both terror, emotional, and physical, you know. Yeah, well, kind of it's been a, a defining trait of the character, you know, of the Black Soulsman, so I, I don't think that's going to happen again, obviously, I mean. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, as far as the physical punishment aspect goes, yeah, I, I think we, we might, you know, get close to that. But uh, yeah, the mental part, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that's not the way the story is set up. And you know, honestly, I mean, I don't think he would survive. You know, uh, yeah, another you know encounter like that. Sure. This volume is also kind of... It's our, it's our chronological introduction of Femto. Of course, readers should be familiar with him from Volume 3. But this is, you know, ground zero, Femto's birth. Uh, the, the final transformation of Griffith into Femto. So let's go ahead and get started with the volume cover. I mean, I also... I mean, I think this is one of the most iconic covers for Berserk. It's certainly, when I think of best covers or most memorable covers this is probably right up there top three or so uh, for me anyway and and I, I wonder if that's just a i mean is, is there there's some symmetry to it so there's something that sticks with you that way as well yeah also it's, it's just 
it's just very enigmatic. You know, the action, the framing of it, the the tension that's still on display. I mean, and it's 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 an important event, and it's a, likewise a striking cover. Yeah, I think the way it's composed is more striking. You know, it's very there's a symmetry to it. You know, with the the black sun at the top, the hand with femto in the center, and then you go down to guts and casca at the front, with all of the apostles at the back looking you know as there's a treatment to them they are a bit you know they're at the background they're like almost ethereal you know looking so yeah i think it's pretty it's really it's a, it's a pretty big cover you know uh, generally speaking i think covers are not necessarily the strongest aspect in berserk you know they are pretty uneven i'd say as far as you know they go but uh, yeah this one is, is pretty pretty sweet and it's got everything it summarizes it sums, uh, the whole volume pretty well as well you know that scene which actually doesn't even exist you know but it's mm -hmm. really how to say iconic and it you know symbolizes the whole thing yeah and actually when we get to the the, the climax of the eclipse you know guts can't even get near casca you know he can't even get close to protector uh, so obviously this is a representational of what happens but either way um let's go ahead and open it up um we have a little kind of introduction to Femto page here. What I like about this is it shows him in contrast to the designs of the other apostles. And obviously a god hand is not an apostle. But just how different he, his design is. And also, it's a very, uh, what's the word, enigmatic look he's giving us yeah, and as it's, well. Yeah, it's pretty cool too, you know. It's, uh, of course. It's very fitting for the character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, also his his design, uh, that's not something we've talked a lot about, but just uh, I really like how sleek and, uh, what's the word, shiny uh, it is, yet despite obviously exuding a dark color to it. Uh, you know, we've talked about in the past in the last issue about, or last podcast about the color of Femto, where it seems to be kind of a blue-purple, but also a very dark colored, and... I actually wonder if he does have a color, or if it's merely reflective of whatever the scenery is. I don't know. Uh, well, I think we generally have agreed as bluish. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think you know from the say, the paintings, it's uh, it's a kind of dark blue, but it does right. it does have a, a shininess. We've spoken about this in the last podcast. You know, it's like like an insect's uh, carapace. You know, it's a bit you know shittiness in in nature, mm -hmm. and I think yeah, it's uh, it's a bit like that. So reflective, but still pretty dark. And uh, and yeah, pretty slick. Generally speaking, it it you know yeah. it's also worth mentioning. I, I often see I, I've seen people before talking about you know the golden legs. They have some kind of armor, but uh, it's worth mentioning that this is actually part of their body. So it's more like an exoskeleton in a way, you know. Yeah, I have something written down for that uh, for Femto's, Femto's introduction, and it's right whenever he comes out of the or unfurls his wings, you can say. He can, you can see him kind of grimacing in his eyes. Uh, you can tell that the the body itself, the ar the armor, quote unquote, itself is is his body. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting relationship they have. Like, it's not like he's wearing this suit of armor or something like that. That is his body. You know, that's yeah. what's interesting about that. And uh, it's actually reflected very well when he's first born. You know, where the helmet part of his skull is. You know, the eyes are, are closed and they open up. So that's. Uh, that's yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, okay. I I didn't know we are, you were talking about this part specifically, but uh, later on. Yeah, and it's also actually reminiscent of uh, Gigantomachia. You know, the 
insect people. It's uh, it's the same thing. Well, you know, it's no, no surprise. Mura took a lot of inspiration from Berserk elements in order to create Gigantomachia, and I think that may have been one of them. Sure. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, we actually opened this volume up right where volume 12 left off, uh, Zod and Skull Knight squaring off with Rickert kind of in the foreground watching this all happen with this dramatic scene happening behind all of them. I, I actually like how this is framed, the, the multiple levels we have here of foreground, middle, and background happening. Yeah. It's pretty. It's, it's, it's a layer of depth you don't get a lot of times in manga, I think, but anyway... I think it's really just emphasizing that Rickards is a spectator here, and it's important that he's on a separate level from the action. But, uh, you know, it's also, it's 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 just super dramatic looking, not only because there's a giant, you know, uh, cyclone happening behind them, but also because there's, there's like, uh, lightning bolts and, like, strong wind happening behind all, all around it. It's just all very, yeah. you can just, it's very otherworldly and powerful. Well, I think it's fitting because of what it represents, you know, like that tornado is not just like a climatic event you know it's uh it's not just you know something created by the weather it's supernatural so it's actually a fitting theater you know for a battle between zod and the skull knight so until this point and until much later we actually haven't seen skull knight really necessarily attack or anything and actually we don't really see much of it here either as hinted at when we actually see skull knight in action you know, we get treated to quite a bit of it. And it's interesting how Mira chose to present it that way. Because here, he's just squaring off with Zod, and we don't see him fight until later. And there's been this, quite a bit of build-up to him, I think, in terms of his abilities. But I think you can kind of read from his character design and his presence that he's not to be trifled with, you know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I think, you know, that, that for a first-time reader, it must be pretty... Like, Zod is pictured as being a force of nature, you know, that, you know, he destroyed wild and he's been just, you know, unbeatable so far. And at the same time, you've got the Skull Knight who, by his mere presence, could send the Count and Roshin away, you know. And so these two guys squaring off and speaking to each other, you know, the way they do, it's pretty... I think it's a really great, you know, build-up for when we actually see them, you know, fight a bit later on. Yeah, and, and also, I mean... Just adding to what you just said about the relationship there, I mean, Zod, for, for it to be Zod to meet him out here, I think is interesting because Zod is, you know, for readers, he is like, you know, king apostle, basically, in terms of strength level. You know, he's the one that, I, mean, I just like, I like how they're framing it up as, well, you know, them being rivals or, or, or at least, you know, having known each other for a long time and having fought. For a long time. You know, actually, it's interesting because I think in the beginning, Zod is just, you know, like an apostle. You know, the, his first appearance, he could be any guy, he could have been the Count, he, they would have also get, gotten trashed in Volume 5, you know. But I think as time goes by, you know, the reader starts get, getting the idea that Zod is not just any guy, you know. Like, there's the Eclipse, but he's not there, you know, he's outside and he's waiting for the Skull Knight. And he just, you know, pretty much says that, you know, Jose expresses his contempt for them. You know, for the guys who are inside, just, you know, rooting and, and, you know, enjoying themselves. So, and, you know, as time goes on later on, you know, he comes up again and again. And, yeah, you get the feeling that he's an apostle, but he's just not, you know, he's special. And I think it will, you know, keep getting, you know, how to say, reinforced until the end. That he's not just, you know, even compared to guys like Locus or 
Ravine or anything. I think he's really he has a special part to play, and uh, that's going to 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 get Jose clearer and clearer over time. Yeah, I mean, apart from his introduction in Volume Five, whenever we see him again in Volume Eight when he throws the sword, it's it's already quite a bit of a surprise for an apostle to be yeah to be aiding a human like that in that way, and also here to be to be set apart from what's happening inside the eclipse. Yeah, I mean, he he is already being set up early on. As special, and you're right about that. Yeah, and I see, but I think this scene is uh, pretty determinant in, you know, absolutely like saying this is this is where this is where that distinction is made clear. Yeah, that he's he's not like the other apostles. He, you know, of course, he doesn't want to have any interest in their indulgent spree. Um, and also like you know, it could just be me, and I wonder if it's an effect of me having read this volume probably I don't know more than most of the in the series. But the art style just really resonates with me. The, the the frame of Skull Knight at the bottom, right before the full page of him and Zod, as they is the final page, I guess, of them. The when he's talking about uh, Void would say that this lies in causality's current. Yeah. The look of him, I just love the hatching and, and his in his expression. It's just another example of Mira, just really just knocking it out of the park in terms of exuding personality despite having a static face. You know, not being able to animate or move the face, and yet able to express so much yeah yeah the, i think the, the shading plays a a good deal of you know to to, to get this effect and yeah, yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool and even the final scene where you see you know like from the back of the skull knight and to zod mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty it's pretty cool you know the art style for this scene generally speaking is, is pr- really pretty good yeah and we turn back to the eclipse back inside there and we we pick up almost immediately where we left off yeah. uh, when Casca, uh, actually, she's being attacked, or she's about to be attacked by the same monster that she was attacked by in Volume 12, and uh, the Falcons, you know, yell out for her, but she's actually kind of stunned. She's yeah. frozen, not able to move. It's, it's worth mentioning we are speaking about the, you know, quality of the art. Uh, I actually really like, you know, that first scene you see of the apostles devouring humans. I, I think throughout the Eclipse, Mira paid a lot of, you know, what's the attention to the design of those monsters. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just want to say that it's really just, it's not just for Zod and the Skull Knight, but it continues on through the whole volume. Yeah, it does, absolutely. And actually, on that page that you're referring to, we see the one from Volume 12 with his eyes kind of, like, glazed over in delight as he's, you know, chewing. Yeah. On the, in the center top frame of that. Yeah, actually, there are several scenes where... You know, Jose, Mura draws the eyes. You can tell they are swallowing in delight. I, I don't know how to express it, but it makes it even... No, that's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, it makes it even more revolting, you know, the way they are, you know, eating that like pigs, you know. <laughs> you know, it's actually... Because of this reread project, and also because Apostle Bob recently posted a thread about chronicling all the appearances of the... the reappearances of Apostles... Yeah. It's made me really look closely at these images that I generally would just kind of pass my eye over because they're disgusting. <laughs> and but I, I really I've never paid as close attention to these monster designs as I have in the past recent weeks, and it is quite fascinating. And I think I said it last podcast, but also that it's fascinating that Miura doesn't take one approach to his influences for these apostle designs. It's not like it's just an undersea creature like an angler, and it's not like they're all yeah. cut from the same cloth. It's all over the place. It runs the gamut from, 
you know, plant to fish to beast to sky creature to all sorts of things, you know. Yeah, I've actually always appreciated uh, the. Actually, I, I've paid attention to these designs like a, a long time, you know, from the from the very beginning. I think the first time I read that volume, I spent really quite a while, you know, like checking out all the designs. And uh, it's something I've really always appreciated Mira for is that he really tried the hardest to, quote, say, include as many different designs as he could. So that goes for sea creatures, insects, <clears throat> you know, various weird, you know, animals, snails, that kind of stuff. And of course, stuff that's just not even inspired by real things, or some are inspired by human designs, some are or say, sexual in nature, you can tell they're influenced like that. And it's, I think he really tried to show the diversity among apostles that, you know, came from their own, you know, uh, personas. <clears throat> You know, it really, this is going beyond the scope of the podcast, but if we ever do another interview with him, I would love to not, to have him talk a little bit about the thought process he has between making this. You know, why why these particular creatures? Why why these choices for them? You know, what <laughs> what makes these particular designs monstrous? You know, there's, there's a kind of a philosophy to the design behind them, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think his first answer would be that he tries to make something that looks cool. But uh, yeah, some of them, I think he really goes for something as grotesque as possible. And he also, I think he wants, you know, like there's a few that are not very impressive. You get the feeling that, you know, aside from being monsters, they're probably not very strong or anything like that. And I think it was, again, an effort on his part to show that it's not just about making monsters that make great warriors or anything like that. It's just, it goes a bit deeper than that, you know. And they're strong because they're supernatural creatures, but... Uh, quite a few of them are, are just, you know, weird, you know, they're just weird shit. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, you know, one thing I like about uh, when the Apostle tries to get to Casca, you know, to eat her, is that he, he had been eating a guy and you can see the head of the guy falling off. Like, it's like a crumb, you know. He's, mm -hmm. he's not bothering to finish it as he tries to, you know, get to her. So it also shows, how to say, how, you know... Uh, wild and animalish. I don't even know who to say. Savagely, they are, you know, devouring everyone. Well, it also implies emotion to everything. Like, what we're seeing, again, we're seeing these things as kind of frozen in time, but there's clearly a lot of slothering and just, like, just gross motions happening yeah. with, like, entrails splattering everywhere, but we're seeing them kind of fixated in this moment moment. And, and it goes very quick, I think. You know, like this this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. This whole scene doesn't last very long. So it also shows uh, the way, you know, how dangerous it is, how they have to move and react fast and everything like that. So it also explains right. why Casca is, like, transfixed as she looks at, you know, the, the apostle eating something and just get to her before Pippin intervenes. Yeah. Yeah, Pippin steps in. The others are able to get to her in time. Pippin, you know, reaches in with his warhammer and tells her to run. Uh, and he's doing his best to fight it off. He actually gets in another blow uh, later on as well. But uh, Judo uh, steps in as well. And what's interesting is, you know, they're they're not fighting to protect themselves. They're they're fighting to protect Casca. Yeah, protecting uh, the leader. Right. So they actually have hope that. You know the Falcons can live on. They're actually still invested in this, despite what they're up against. You know they're not. Yeah. They're not quitting. They're not laying down. Basically. What I like, what I find interesting is that aside from the heroism shown here, 
which is pretty touching, you know. Like Casca doesn't want to to leave Pippin behind, but you know, Judo says I have no choice, and he they exchange some kind of glance. Like Pippin looks back, and Judo throws two knives, and Pippin like give his last shot. It's his last attack, yelling, yeah. doing his you know yell. It's pretty, but beyond that, you know, I, I like the fact that they consider her their leader now, you know. And like they're mm-hmm. protecting her, I, I think it also says something about Griffiths, you know, at this point. Like these guys, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think, you know, what's the implication for Griffiths? In terms of what they're thinking about Griffith in this moment? Yeah. I don't, honestly, I've given it some thought. I don't think they're processing that right now. I think they're just fighting to survive. I don't think they ever got to the, the club that the conclusion that Griffith betrayed us. I wonder about uh, that, though. You know, I mean, when you see that shot of uh, Judo saying she's their leader, she must, you know, leave. She's the one, you know, like, as long as she lives, the, mm-hmm. the band is alive. You know, I think it also, there's a certain finality to this, you know, to the fact that, yeah, you know, Griffith is out of the picture now. and uh, Right, that's true. So, yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is we don't see them process that. No, the closest yeah. we get to it is Casca later on when she's looking back at the scene. Yeah. Uh, it's, like, it's like 10 pages from now. We'll get to it. But you're right. It's um, I, I just don't think we're supposed to be focusing on Judo or, or Pippin's like, uh, feelings about that. I, I feel like that's for other characters, for, for Guts, namely, and Casca to, to have those feelings. And right now, it's just an in-the-moment thing. They're just fighting to survive. That's just how I've read it. But you're right. Maybe Judo is quicker than others and maybe he's already put that together and, and the expressions we're reading on his face isn't just survival he's fighting for but also he's probably processing it could be processing yeah. that betrayal yeah, you know? it's, I don't know it's just you know like like say I mean I don't mean to say that they have already pondered this and dealt with you know everything associated with those feelings but I think the situation is clear to them you know even in the heat of the moment even as they're running away like there's no doubt what's happened and they understand how it goes and even though they, are, they have not, you know, taken the time and they unfortunately never will to, you know, reflect back on it, I think none of them is really, you know, Jose. no one's mistaken about what's happened. Mm. You pr- yeah, you're probably right. I just never really thought of it that way before, but I don't see any reason that couldn't be the case. Um, as Judo and Casca are riding away, um, there's, they get this. She she looks back at Pippin, and we get this horrible two-panel death sequence for Pippin, where yeah, uh, he's basically just the, he's, all of them attack him at once. Yeah, he's overwhelmed he's by overwhelmed. them, and then, and then we also see the aftermath of that. You know, we get we see him struck down, and we see them basically like hungrily pick picking over him a little bit at the end. So it's just it's really horrible. And Casca looks away, tears in her eyes. Yeah. We transition over to Carcass and his guys, and uh, we get this upside-down face-looking apostle. Yeah. Very strange. Which I, I actually love that design. I think it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he looks very happy if you turn the page upside down. Yeah. He's quite gleeful. Um, this whole sequence is really interesting to me, um, because you see kind of like Carcass uh, devolving insanity uh, as the page turns, and ultimately concluding, or not concluding, but... Kind of just giving in to the insanity of the moment before his death. Yeah. Um, you know, he's 
but before we get there, in this moment, he's just screaming and he watches his, you know, um, friends being, you know, chewed. One of them is reaching out to him, calling to him as he's being chewed. And yeah. we focus in on Carcass's expression at the time. I think the, the scenes of that slaughter of people being eaten, you, we see quite a few shots of faces eating people or people in it. And, uh, you know, he falls into, in, you know, some dead bodies, some intestines. I think that's yeah. too much for him to take mentally. And that's why he takes refuge in that. That thought that it can't be real. You know, it must be a dream. Yeah, we actually... Um, the presentation here, actually, it would, it would be comical if it wasn't such a serious scene. You know, him, yeah. him running towards the, the screen like that or the page with his mouth wide open... Uh, and, and and it's also his uh, the way he's positioned. It's all it all it is rather comical. Yeah. Apart from the actual seriousness his of it, his face, his expressions, the way he runs. But actually, you know, he's not that bad because he manages to outrun them. You know. Yeah, he does. Actually, it's actually interesting the way it transitions. Uh, I like how he's running away. You have this you know a horde of them right behind him, and then they kind of devolve into mouths as these into blackness. Yeah. But actually, if you look at his condition in that in that page as he's running away, and when we come back to him in the next page, some time has passed clearly because he's yeah, he's wounded. He's got less armor on. He's got more wounds yeah, to him. He's much. He's wounded on the face and neck, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So it's at that point that he basically starts to break down and and consider everything that happened was it was unreal. Not just the eclipse, but everything. Yeah, the fame, um, the success. Right. I, I like even that was. Uh, go ahead. I like that. You know, it also gives us a little insight into his character, his personality. When he thinks he'll just be a nobody again, you know. I love it. It's, uh, Absolutely. It really shows the way he thought, and it explains why he was maybe so de- defensive, you know, against guts towards the band of the Falcon and everything like that, because he, it was, you know, an opportunity for him to become more than he had ever been before. Absolutely. Yeah, he felt Guts was taking it for granted, this this great ride, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to turn someone like Carcass, who even he admits is a nobody, into something worthwhile. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, it's something we get from Gaston as well, the similar theme of uh, this past life, this, this, you know, whirlwind of success, and then this nightmarish tragedy. It feels so unreal. It feels like it's happening in a storybook or something like that. It's what Gaston says. You know, they were dragged into Griffith's dream like this. And <clears throat> it made me also it made me wonder about the... Um, Gaston actually considers the bonfire of dreams as well. And you, you really it really hits home here about the, the, the lives of average people being torn apart as a result of this. Yeah. And throughout the Holy Eclipse. You know, and, and it's contrasted with Guts, who actually makes it, who actually stands a fighting chance for a certain amount of time. Uh, in the eclipse before being struck down, nobody else had much of a chance, though. Yeah, well, so. you know, it's because he's guts. That's why he's a main yeah. character. Sure. So at the end of the line, Carcass <laughs> encounters the female apostle. Yeah. Who guts encounters in volume one, and which is a pretty you know, cool. You know, I, I like that. He past apostles, you know, came back for this occasion. I thought it was really great. You know, like we, I think we take it for granted, but. I don't think many other authors would have bothered with that kind of stuff. You know, it's like with the Demon Child and everything else. The way Gus' character was forged by this and the fact the story starts with these characters and we see them again, you know, uh, during this big event, which explains, 
you know, why Guts became that way, why he became the Black Soulsman, and uh, it also concludes the flashback. I think it's a great touch, and uh, and you know, like when the volume started, you know, there's this scene, the first scene, and many people are a bit, you know, uncomfortable with it and everything like that. But you know, I think to show it like that is also a way for Mura to own up to that and to say, yeah, it, that's what it is, and uh, <clears throat> it's also what Berserk is about, you know. Well, sh showing her now also provides some closure, or at least a sense of redemption for Guts having avenged the death of his comrades. Yeah. Even if it wasn't, even if he didn't know this one had killed Carcass or anything like that, obviously he's not there, but either way, for the reader, it makes some sense of closure. Yeah, it's, it's part of his, you know, crusade against them. Right. And so we come back to Casca and Judo. Well, just one uh, other thing. I actually, sure. I actually like that we see how she lures Carcass to you know, to his death, you know, the way he get, he goes to to her arms and he's just, he still thinks he's dreaming because why would a beautiful naked woman be there, you know, in that scenario? And uh, I absolutely love the final panels for him where he's just in her arms and, you know, on the panel, on the lower panel, she's transformed into her monstrous form and, uh, <clears throat> and that's the last we see of him. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, a, a beautiful woman transforming into a nightmarish creature. We've all been there, so. <laughs> we transition over to... Actually, before that, we get this nice kind of goodbye page for Judo. Oh, yeah, and it's a fan uh, favorite, too. The, is that yeah, absolutely. It's really great. Very thoughtful look in his eyes, far away. Uh, Judo on a better day, let's say. Yeah. And Casca and Judo are, you know, making progress... Covering quite a bit of distance, but there's still everywhere they look. There's just, you know, this has also happened with Carcass. You know, no matter where he turned his eyes, he was seeing some nightmarish thing. And it's also here, we get the impression based on the paneling that Mira is giving us that at every corner and every angle, there's just horrible yeah. things happening. It's totally inescapable. Everywhere, and you know, there's also a focus on mouth. You know, mouth yeah. is everywhere, and so yeah, that's what's waiting for them. And of course, the bodies also corpses on the floor, carcasses. It's, you know, yeah, it's pretty dire. Right. So Casca, we referred to this earlier, you know, she's sort of processing, she has a moment of reflection here about why this is happening, and she's trying to make sense of it all. And she actually says, you know, was our sin that great? And I'm wondering if she means, uh, if this was penance for some crime that the Falcons had committed, or at least that's how her mind's trying to make sense of what's happening. Like, what did we, what could we possibly have done to have deserved something like this? And and. Go ahead. I wonder if that if she was referring to Griffith's crime or the the fact that the Falcons were outlaws. You know the kind of no, mentality so one could she, adopt. She's reflecting on the lives they've led. You know, simply uh, mm. as warriors. You know, fighting for you know money and just killing people. I mean, it's just simply sad. They must have killed hundreds of people each. So I, I think she means it in that sense, you know, as mm -hmm. far as sin goes. But uh, I don't think that really is an important part of of this scene. Uh, I think that's just her, like you said, trying to process, you know, trying to find reason what could have they done yeah. to deserve this. And, you know, in this sense, to sin, I, I think it refers to their life as uh, mercenaries. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but else she also, as she... We, we get this fantastic parting shot here, uh, low ground perspective, looking back at the hand yeah. as the, you know, the, the contoured scenery filled with nightmare creatures 
and she's wondering if this nightmare is what he'd want you wanted, you know, referring to Griffith. Yeah. She calls out to him, then she think, thinks it, and then calls out his name uh, as they're riding away. Yeah. To Griffith. And, and uh, yeah, and, and I think it's uh, that's the important part is that she's she's really it's almost you know she's asking, but it's almost an accusation. Like, is that really what he wanted? And it's actually exactly what Guts himself, you know, he had the same sort of process. You know, like, is it really what he wanted? So <clears throat> yeah, I think it's important to show the way they deal with it. Yeah. So Judo is having to fight off multiple apostles. He actually shows how tough he is. He actually, you know, gets a nice slice on an apostle's neck. Uh, he takes some, some damage, and then another one is immediately on top of them, and he managed to take them out with knives. Yeah. But then another one comes. So it was just one after the other. The third one manages to just grab onto his arm. Is massive. It looks like a, you know, beast grabbing onto his left, his right arm. And yeah. He can't fight it off. With mouse so Casca is able eyes. to reach in and help him out. You're right. Yeah, the eyes and the eyes and the mouth eyes and eyes under his hands. <laughs> what a crazy, you know, design. But oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. Wow. Yeah, he, yeah. The next page, you see yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she grabs a knife and managed to to help him. <clears throat> right, but and his arm is just torn to shreds. Yeah. And you know, at this moment, Casca has like a moment of weakness where she's saying, "We should just die with the others." You know, what's the point of of trying to run away? And yeah, but judo. Uh, you know, st- steps stops her right there, tells her to shut up, and uh, kind of emulates the toughness he would expect of guts, and even even admits that, saying, you know, fight until the very end, fight until the absolute end. Yeah. And then he says, "Isn't that what he'd say?" And of course, we know he's talking about guts, not Griffith, when he says him. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, so. at this point, uh, the figure of hope for them would be would be guts, obviously, another one who's condensed into this uh, situation. <clears throat> Yeah. The two of them then see uh, one of the more bizarre apostle designs yeah. I think we've seen, and it just it's like a shadow on the ground at first. That, one you know, one zooms thing, up. One thing I'd say before we, we move on is that, you know, I find it interesting. I think it's a, again an insight into uh, Judo's personality and thinking that at this time he, uh, say he evokes guts, you know. He quotes guts to Casca, you know. In this time, w- when you know, when we get to know uh, shortly thereafter, what his feelings for her were, you know. <clears throat> right. Yeah. But I mean, he, that's the that's the right path to take in this particular scenario. Of course. I think you know. <laughs> he knows that as well. Anyway, again, this bizarre apostle is sneaking up on them, or just you know, confronts them, and just starts chewing on their horse from the ground. Yeah. It's just it's like a flea or something. I don't know. Some kind of weird insect-like yeah, design. It's, uh, I think it's a mix. You know, like, obviously it has uh, <clears throat> several legs, but I think it's a mix. I don't, I don't think it's a really insectoid in nature because it, it has two big eyes on the top and uh, that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's really an insect, but, yeah, it's inspired from it. I think it's probably closer to a batration. But, mm. you know, I mean, <laughs> it's just obviously, like, <laughs> it's an imaginary creature. Of course, yeah. I just meant the shape of it. Look, it reminds me of something. It evokes something. Yeah, in my head. it's just. But I don't know. General it has shape. a tail. It's a. It's a really weird. Again, it's a yeah. weird design, and uh, it was probably lying in wait, and uh, you know, got them like that. Yeah. And immediately after it, we see another just extremely bizarre design. This like uh, yin and yang headed thing with whips coming out of its mouth or its head. Yeah. 
but it's on these stilt legs and the stilt legs actually make this like sound effect like like so it's uh, kind of metallic or something like that uh, and it begins to attack Agatha, uh, Judo and Casca and Judo steps in to take the blow for her and then he continually you know, is beaten over and over for it as Casca yeah. tells him to move and asking him why he's enduring this for her before finally just getting uh, pierced by a two-pronged tail or something like that. Yeah, the antennas, it's interesting because the apostle can, you know, boss whip and pierce with them, so... Mm, yeah. And that's how he ends up double, you know, stabbed in the in the chest. And there's actually, at that moment, I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> call it a tender moment, but it's a moment where time slows down here as Casca sees what has happened and her hand goes up past the wounds to his face and puts her hand on his face. Yeah, on his cheek. She's, and he's grimacing. Yeah, she strokes his cheek. Yeah. Right. And, you know, at that moment, Judo takes action, saying it's his last knife. You know, holds the the, the uh, piercing. Yeah, the antenna his, yeah. whatever, yeah. And it's managed to, uh, you know, get one throw into the knife while Casca immediately springs into action, grabs the sword and slices it. Yeah. And we actually see it on the ground there. It wasn't just wounded, you know. It's actually down. Yeah. For the for the immediate moment, at least, you know. Well, I think she may. So. I think she managed to kill it because its midsection is not very, you know. <clears throat> it doesn't seem to be a very resilient apostle. So. Yeah. But either way, it's it's not in the picture anymore. You see it on the ground over there. Yeah. So. <laughs> I I think she yeah she killed it for the count, but yeah, which is actually interesting because. I think most of the apostles uh, in the eclipse, like some were wounded or anything like that, but nothing serious. So I think yeah. this is one of the you know only cases where one of them is killed or at least really seriously injured. But I think it, the way it lies down, I think it's dead. Right. So they have some time here to at least get on their feet, get back on their feet, and to share a moment. And it's Judo's final moment. And at this moment, you know the roles kind of reverse, where Casca's talking tough to Judo now, mm-hmm. telling him, and he you know he actually laments that he was talking so tough because clearly he can't live up to those words yeah it's kind of funny he jokes about it you know as he's you know as he knows he's dying yeah it fits it's it his, fits his way it's all he's, he's always been to you know like making light of the moment yeah and just before the page where his eyes begin to close you know says I'm all talk after all you know he's still still joking until the very end mm. and I love this the paneling here it's just it's just very <laughs> emotional the as his eyes, you, you see his his fading consciousness, and he's looking at Casca. His final vision is of Casca, always wanting to tell her how he, how he feels, not able to say it even in his final line, and instead just says, "You sure do cry a lot." Yeah, I actually think the in Japanese she says, "You cry too much." Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it's probably got several meanings, but yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's boss, you know. It's a uh, it's a it's a tragic way for for him to end, you know. Saying not saying what he wanted to. It's pretty it's pretty beautiful. I think it's uh that's the reason the character has had such a, a following, especially among female fans, you know. Yeah. Well, the whole the aspect of it being unrequited is certainly part of it as well. And and he's just a very sympathetic character in general. Uh, and he's uh the that really the the heart of the entire band, you know the the one that everyone could talk to him and relate to yeah die to die in such a way like the night the nice guy way. you know yeah and casca can't believe it when it happens you know she sees him and she's shaking her head and 
And then she begins, uh, they can speak, the apostles begin swarming around yeah. her. It's pretty, you know, the way they creep up at her back, you know. You see them emerging from the darkness. It's really, again, uh, it's a tribute to, to Mura's, you know, how to say, his storytelling talent that he can be, even though it's still images, you know, the way they, you see these two panels of them coming, you can really feel the way they're swarming around her. And when she turns around, they're all there already. Right. And it's no longer like a hastened chase. It's a, it is a slow creep yeah. to her. Yeah. You know, it makes it much more terrifying because of the distance they cover and how close they are in proximity in that final moment there. Yeah. It's just, it's overwhelming and they're relentless and you know, there's no escape at this moment. Yeah. And so, you know, Casca picks up a sword, his sword and yeah. uh, tries to make a final strike. I, I like how you see she's trembling. You know, she's even got tears in her eyes. It's it's a feeling we've seen, you know, like for example, Gus when he was first faced with Zod. You know, that kind of you know that intimidating aura an apostle can have. Yeah. But she gives it, you know, like she really tries. And I, I think that's really, you know, it's a very powerful scene to me. The way she's really attacking with all her might, and then you've got this panel of just the apostle with the sword in his, you know, mouth, and just the sword slowly cracks and breaks. And there's a, a shot on her face. I think it's just amazing because you can feel the despair in that moment. You know, you see uh, actually even the apostles' designs, some kind of gross goblin-like face. You know, it's I think it's very, very powerful. Yeah, the the expression on his face has always been kind of haunting to me. Like he just looks like he's a little too excited for the moment. It just you know to me it's like he's you know he's just laughing. It's it's a it's a yeah. face of. You know, you, you can't really tell because his eyes are, he's got these kind of dead eyes, but the right. way it breaks like that, and they're just, you know, get closer and closer slowly and slowly around her. And, you know, every time she's got an episode, she some kind of, you know, flashes back to that moment, you know, being surrounded by Apostle, grabbed by everything. And, and I think really right. this scene is the most, you know, the most terrifying, the most claustrophobic, whatever you want, but it's just, you know, just horrible. Right, and it's also these particular apostles, the ones that have the phallic designs, are the ones that swarm around her. Yeah, was, or at least they're not all like that, but yeah, there's a uh, quite a few of them, you know, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually, we, you know, a rare moment of them actually talking. Yeah. You know, we we hear them say sacrifice, a woman sacrifice, and but before we, you know, kill her. Yeah. Will. Yeah, they want to eat her, but yeah, before that, they want to enjoy themselves. So that's right. you know the how to say. Like adding insult to injury, you know, and uh, right. and, and yeah, and the, the scene cuts with them, just you know, tearing her clothes and an armor off. <clears throat> well, she actually says guts right before the very end. Yeah. And then I don't it know happens. If she, yeah, and then the yeah, I don't know if she says it or thinks it, but yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, she's it's, it's a thinking for sure. But uh, yeah, and, and then the worst happens, or almost the worst happens with you know completely stripped of armor. Why? Well, yeah, I mean, she's grabbed and, you know, uh, what to say, the scene, the scene cuts there, and we, we get back to her later on. <clears throat> right, and, it, you know, the worst, it's, there's like 10, 12, 13, you know, there's multiple apostles, there's no way she could fight them off. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, Adgar's been in the same situation, he would have been, you know, as poor as, as, as she was in that moment. Yeah. So we cut to Guts. Uh, who's immediately being attacked by a creature with, you know, spiked horns, and we see how resourceful he is using the end of his knife that had broken yeah. to uh, snap off the the spike and use it as a weapon, which is just awesome. 
I love how he's able to turn that into a, into a weapon for several pages, you know, using that effectively. And I don't have a lot to say about individual actions here, but I, I did want to hark on a couple things here. The fact that he's getting in so many precise hits, you know, you notice how he's hitting. He's going for eyes, mouths. Yeah, weak points. He knows where the weaknesses are, you yeah. know, where, where they're vulnerable, where he can do some actual damage and not have it just regenerate. So he's learned a little bit. And also how quickly he's attacking. He's, He's attacking quicker than they can react to in a number of times. And they'll knock him to the ground, and you'll see him rise up, you know, raise, rise up really quickly yeah. and get in a strike before they can you know, defend themselves again. What? We see that a couple times. I think he knows because of his past experience and everything that like, he doesn't have a second chance. If he stays down just one second too long, he's dead. And I think he's also not necessarily trying to like get a kill you know a sure kill you know like just kill every one of them but he's just inflicting damage you know trying to you know ward them off in a way so yeah i actually actually yeah. like the designs of the apostles i know i'm just saying that every for every page but you know, there's also some really weird designs here including one that's got some kind of a strange mouth that opens really you know weird stuff but yeah i think it's pretty cool <coughs> As the volume progresses, we'll get more of this, but I like how the art actually, uh, the quality of it and the intensity of it evolves as Guts fights. You don't see so much of that in this particular instance. Everything's very clear and focused, but just you know, if you're reading along, pay attention to the background elements and the monster designs as it gets more intense and it becomes more blurry and more uh, kind of... Kind of just. I think it also uh, intense. Yeah, I guess. it gets also <clears throat> in a way darker. You know, it starts with a, a white background, and uh, as it goes on after that, you know, there's a lot more mouse in you know mouses and you know hands, claws, that kind of stuff in the background. It, it starts going more and more like that until he actually falls on into the blood. Right. So at this moment, uh, we get a commentary from Slan uh, as you can see the God Hand to kind of looking on at the scene. Of course, this fight is happening in the palm of the hand still. Uh, Guts is not on the same ground level as the other Falcons are. <clears throat> but she comments that, you know, he's even though he's struggling, it's a futile effort because he's already been sacrificed. And, and in fact, the, the pain and suffering he's enduring is just nourishment. And we see this kind of like vein-like or uh, vascular-like structure enveloping and covering uh, Femto's body. Obviously, uh, we see how that functions later on, but it's pumping up blood and other stuff, you can say, <laughs> yeah. uh, to him. Flu powering fluids. Him. <laughs> well, fluids. I mean, but she's talking about suffering being a kind of currency as well. The stronger his life force, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I think there's, you know, like several, how to say, several levels to this, where yeah, they actually pump the blood, indeed. And we also mm -hmm. see the masses in the hand, you know, spewing blood. So I'm not even sure it's just... But yeah, you know, it feeds, you know, the Jose Femto's birth is, you know, fed by the death and anguish and all the, you know, suffering, dark emotions, fear, everything like that, you know, of the people he sacrificed. Right. It's also neat that we get a little bit of a preview of the way Femto's body is or works here in this. Kind of can see the 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 muscle the muscle behind it, the the wings and his cape of it being the wings yeah. 
forming on his on his behind his shoulders like yeah. that. He's the way he's positioned as well is just creepy as hell. Him covering his 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 face like that with those long fingers. Yeah, it's a it's a bit almost like a fatal position, but in a in a yeah. monstrous way. And yeah, we we saw before his body being some kind of I don't know dismantled a bit, and now mm-hmm. we can see that it's being rearranged, recreated, transmuted into into this. And uh, I actually like the fact that. You know, the the fact he kept his helmet, you know, led to him having it, you know, perman- permanently fused to his body in, as Femto, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. It also informs us on what could have happened to the others, you know, before they they got their current form. I mean, I, I've always thought of it merely as a choice. I mean, he has a choice to choose his form, and yeah, that helmet but was a part of his identity. I think, yeah, I agree, but, you know, like, I don't think it's a... It's a coincidence that he had it on when it it came to that, and uh, I'm not I'm hmm. not sure he would have chosen it. You know, who knows? But the fact is, he had it on and he kept it on. I mean, you can read a little bit more into it, given Void's face. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, if we're going to go that route with the wise man from Volume 18 being the one that was tortured yeah. by Gazeric, then it would make some sense that he still bore those. I'm just saying, like. I've always been under the impression that they can choose their form, basically. But, you know, maybe there's some well, interplay with the physical as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's uh, generally speaking, even when it comes to apostles, you know, they get to to make a wish in a way. But, you know, it's never exhausted exactly, you know, as the way they might have sort of first. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and it's obviously more to the process than that, because I doubt the chicken apostle for example, would have chosen that form exactly. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, you get, you know, when the count said he wanted, you know, to take away the pain, they gave him a body that could regenerate and not just, not really, you know, keep wounds. But did he want to be right. a giant slug? You know, po- probably not. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing not, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, some of the designs it's here. It's just, you know, you get what you want, but not necessarily ex- the exact way you want, so. <clears throat> Yeah, F- Floyd over here really loved vulvas, and so we just incorporated that right into his design. <laughs> so, so while I like this shot here, um, as Guts is fighting, uh, it's kind of continuing the same theme we've seen. He's, you know, uh, putting his legs on an angler apostle's mouth to, you know, and, and shoving the spike in its mouth yeah. and continuing this fight. But we have this moment of pause for him, where he looks back and sees, you know, what's happening with Griffith. Yeah, after I swung against you know, the wall, yeah. And he's, yeah, right, he's shining through. And he's just looking at, obviously, his expression changes, and he's, I mean, it's it's wordless, but the way I read that was basically, you know, is all this fighting I'm doing worthless? Is this what you wanted? It was the thought that I got from that moment. I don't know about you, Azil. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's what he's thinking at the moment, like, oh, should I just die for you? No, I... Not that, just like... And, and he was he came up there to rescue Griffith, yeah, but I you know, think, and, and now he's fighting for his I life, th- and so now he's looking. Yeah, at... Yeah, I think he's already, you know, he's already beyond that at this point. You know, he's fighting for his survival, and uh, I think seeing that is, in a way, it's a, uh, it's kind of like a farewell for him. You know, like hmm. I think he realizes what's going on. You know, uh, and uh, it's just, you know, in a way, he says farewell to his friend, and the next time he sees him, well, he's become his enemy. You know. That's yeah. the way I see it. I, I think there's sadness in this, 
in this look, you know, in his eyes. It's a look of, of sadness to me. So I think it's a, uh, yeah, that's what it conveys. Well, uh, the reason I feel that way before, uh, when I when I said, uh, is it all, is my fighting worthless? Is it, you know, if you recall, before the apostles arrived, Guts was sitting there with a knife, you know, jamming yeah. on it, trying to get him out I of know, there. I know, yeah, yeah. And now he's giving in, saying... He's accepting that yeah. this is what he wanted, and so there's no there's no sense in hanging around here anymore. Well, basically. yeah, I agree with that. It's, you know, like I said, it's uh, to me it's like the, the last look. Like he he gets what's yeah. going on, and he gets that he's just you know there's no point to it. So yeah, I, I agree right. in that sense. And as the scene ends, we have this again, once again, frozen in time as Guts takes on five at once, five apostles at once. Just swarming around him, all you know, otherworldly designs. Actually, I think it's six. Either way, it's a lot. <laughs> Spike in hand, you know, his expression is fantastic. Just, it looks like a Frazetta painting. Not the same style, but the same framing. You can imagine it being a Frazetta painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. I like the, the so, Spike just once that actually got you know spots like a yeah, like a cheetah yeah. or something. But they're also like, I mean, sort of eye design. So I don't know what to make of it. It was just really bizarre, for sure. I think we've seen that one before once in the foreground. Either way, it's weird. Also, like you know, we've there's also one with like a exoskeleton, or like his insides are reversed. You know, and on the on the right side there, we've seen. Oh, you mean the skin, the skinless like a, guy? Yeah, with the ant head. Going yeah, on. I think he's just you know, uh, he's just got no skin. You know, <laughs> his muscle. And, and again. That's one of those apostle designs where the guy got a raw deal. Yeah. You know, when he was... Well, <laughs> that being said, I don't know. I mean, he's pretty slick, you know? Oh, if yeah. If you like, you know, <laughs> if you like muscles. Ladies love it. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's a good part of being an apostle is whether they love it or not, they're going to get it. <laughs> Lovely. So, we're treated to this really interesting depiction of Griffith kind of descending through to the depths of the astral world. Yeah. Uh, kind of spiritually, or his, it's it's the prog- it's the progression of his soul, obviously. His, his physical yeah. body is gone. It's interesting because, why well, his physical body is not really gone. You know, his physical and his, well, I, I, let's say, his physical body has dissolved and he's being recreated yeah. as an astral body. But, yeah, his soul itself is sinking, you know, sinking mm-hmm. into, well, I guess like into a, a big ocean. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting the way it's depicted, you know. There's light, and he's falling away from the light into the death. I, I think it's very right. symbolic. It, yeah. And also, you have to wonder, you know, the astral world being such a large place, is is his destination predetermined because of the nature of a ceremony, or is the idea of evil actually drawing him to it? Well, Either way. yeah, I think, uh, does it really matter, you know? It doesn't matter. He's, he's going uh, there anyway, whether it's pre or, or you know, let's say predecided or. But I think, yeah, I think that's where he's supposed to be. He's being led there intentionally. Uh, I, I like the this this fascinating kind of progress we see here as the the vertical panels show us this progress, you know, from from light to dark, and then these he sees these little bubbles happening, yeah. coming up, rising towards him. And you get closer and closer, and you're seeing it's just like faces in anguish. And then he actually experiences them. So if you can imagine, like, you're sinking in a, in a massive pool and, a, and you see a bubble coming up. Like, think Sonic the Hedgehog getting oxygen. <laughs> Except in that bubble is just this terrifying imagery. It's like he's experiencing the deaths of his comrades. Yeah. Or fully, 
you know, his, his awareness of what's happening suddenly, you know, hits him at that moment. And then it passes through him. And, I mean, I think what happens in the following few panels can be read into a little bit. You can see his spiritual, bo- spiritual body kind of dissolving from that blast, right? Yeah. I mean, it hits him, and then he, his figure begins to get more and more uh, dissolved. Yeah, it dissolves, yeah. I think we can say so. Right. And then the commentary on the following page as... He's saying, uh, I wished for this, you know, I killed them, and yet I don't feel anything. So, on the following panel, we, he gets a conversation happening, or someone speaks to him, and he sees this crystal tear following, falling from him, and it's, yeah. it's answered, he asks, what's this? And we get this mysterious voice. What I like about this, and this doesn't come across in the English editions, that the, the font is, is unique. Um, in the Japanese edition, yeah, and it says it's a, it's the crystallization of your final tear, and it's the idea of evil. Of course, you wouldn't necessarily know that until uh, if you had seen eighty three, but by the by the next page, you see him talking to a giant heart that he calls God. But it's I like how people often say, well, without eighty three, why do you even talk about the idea of evil? Like, well, it's cause this scene here the idea of evil does exist it is a god it has mastery over behirits all this stuff is built into the series regardless of 83 i think this is a super important conversation the conversation between griffith and god still exists in the series regardless well, yeah, of, of 83. course and like you say it also like this scene is uh you know at the core of understanding of how behirits are created so mm-hmm. I think it's uh, yeah it's, it would be pretty stupid to to ignore it, and uh, <clears throat> yeah and of course it uh, it ends up with that shot in the dark of the idea of evil, which is very I actually like I said before uh, I, I like the fact that it ends with that shot and I I think uh, volume uh, I'll say episode eighty three uh, kind of cheapened the, that feeling a bit you know because something mm-hmm. that that's explained. Uh, is less mysterious, you know. Oh yeah, if it's not as it's not, it's not quite as mysterious yeah. anymore. It doesn't seem quite as powerful yeah, either. Yeah, less scary. Yeah. So to just see it like that, and Griffith just you know like he's not sure. It's it's you know God. He, it's, you know there's a question mark, and and I like that it's uh, that it ends like that. Before that page, though, I wanted to talk about the Behirits rising. So his crystal tear or his his tear falls and. The idea of evil is telling him that when you ex- when one experiences suffering so profound, the the heart is frozen. The tear falls, and we have this ripple effect happening uh, in front of him, and he sees these these uh, white dots coming towards him, and they kind of splash over him. Uh, and he says, "Be here it." See, he recognizes the shape of them. And the idea of evil uses a phrase. I think it's "ikae no yobimizu." Yep. Uh, the spray uh, is what how some people have have translated that, but you know I think we've talked about this before, Azil, and I think we have differing opinions on what is actually happening. So, you know, the question is whether the tear fell, would the behirits have risen anyway, or is the tear causal in the, in the creation of these behirits? Uh, well, that's a good question, actually. Uh... We we've talked about it before. I, I've been on the side that the tear happens, and then we immediately see these things rising from the abyss. Well, yeah, I mean, and, I, I think it's not... I, I don't think that's f- for sure, you know. Uh, I mean, 
I, I don't think how to say I don't think there's necessarily a tear is needed for Behrit's drives, but what's certain is that mm -hmm. uh, we don't see that there's a bottom. You know, when it's falling, we don't see anything. Then there's mm -hmm. this that falls down, and then we see that. But at the same time, you, if you'll notice, when we first see uh, the tear, you know, going down, after there's a, a mm -hmm. view of his eye, and we see two tears on the side who are going up. Do you mm. see this? I do see it. I don't know quite what to make of well, that, Well, the point is, uh, is a tear you know, falling down oh. or is it falling up, you know, there's this kind of stuff. So I, I think in a way, you know, uh, yeah, it falls down. We see that there's a, some kind of bottom, a pond at the bottom. And then we see things, you know, uh, going up. So I, I think it's a reaction, but uh, yeah. Hmm. It's fascinating either way. And of course, it touches on so many things we talked about before, but the theme of water in the series, the, the final tier being an, an element of significance the behirits in this in this phrase in this form being described as like a splash or a spray of water you know <laughs> rising from the abyss a pool of water or a you know deep dark abyss well, uh, all these yeah things. the the, the behirits are referred to as droplets you know right droplets yeah, yeah. and uh, and yeah of course yeah they, they rise up to the world so it's it's pretty interesting because of what they encompass and the way mm. they are created. We don't actually get to see exactly how this uh, this is possible, how they materialize in the world, but yeah. I guess we haven't punctuated this, but this is like the most surreal scene in the entire series. I think it is. Well, I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> With the exception of 83. Yeah, I, I was going to say, when we see uh, Ubik in, uh, in his little ward, you know. <laughs> okay, pretty, the, the two-page Yeah, spread. that's pretty yeah. surreal as well. But uh, Yeah, by definition. But yeah, you know, <laughs> what's interesting is you know, people often speak of uh, the advent of magic in Berserk, you know, and like, oh, well, it's you know, it just changed, it's completely different, whatever. But actually, you know, this representation of Griffith's soul and, you know, stuff like that, it's actually very similar to, for example, when, you know, Shuruke goes inside Guts, you know, uh, yep, inside the totally. armor, and she, she sees uh, his ego of his soul. It's actually the same thing as this, you know, and <clears throat> he's protected mm -hmm. by Frost, Talisman, everything like that. So, you know, like the same, uh, how to say, the same framework is, you know, uh, making this possible as making, you know, the rest of the world and magic and everything like that possible in Berserk. So <clears throat> I think it's pretty, pretty important. And again, it's uh, something that establishes uh, a system, a way things work. And way before Flo explains it to us, uh, we're introduced to it in, in this, you know, scene. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that point because the similarities between Shirke's travels uh, through Gut's mind in this are, are very interesting. And it's clear Mira was setting the stage for that. Basically, the level of interaction in that level of the Berserk universe was being established even back now. Yeah, so. it's some kind of, uh, you know, the way it's, uh, there's three layers, you know, corporeal, astral, and uh, mm -hmm. ideal or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting, and it's 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 nice that it's introduced in this volume specifically. You know, it, when you think about it, like there's already many things going on. You know, like there's a, a lot going on, but Mira still took the time to show this to us, and uh, I think it also shows that he had already planned for more at this time. Oh yeah, for sure. And, I, I mean, we've said it before, but that final image is so fantastic. I mean, it, whenever I turn on my page to the idea of evil there, 
It's like my mind immediately starts playing like blaring horns, like wow, <laughs> just can't help it. You know, actually, so I always, huge. you know, I, I think the the best, uh, how to say, ambient track for it would be something like deep underwater stuff. You know, I always. So I I did some research on that. I maybe maybe I shared it with you, but this is like six or eight years ago. But I tried to find like uh, the sounds of deep undersea creatures. And like you just you know low rumblings, and I wanted to I wanted to pair it with that image in some mm. way. And I could never found some I never found something super convincing. So what I, I could, took a heartbeat and I modified it to the sound of like what a heartbeat would sound like underwater, like deep underwater, and that's what I ended up doing for that project. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, we we we've talked about that before. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, it's just you know I I think it would be quiet down there. You know I don't know. That's mm. that's the feeling this picture specifically gives me. The, you know in the dark. You know, something very. Oh yeah, very, no, I wasn't saying there actually are horns. Yeah, I'm saying in my mind. I, I know, I know. Like the the image I, image evokes sound. I, I'm just telling you whole what it evokes to me. You know. Yeah, sure. Um, I like the 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 final page we get here is as of Griffith, because that really is the end for him, and we just saw the last image of Griffith's soul before he it is transformed into Femto. Yeah, he's. The Griffith we knew is now, he's dead. Anyway, continuing on, uh, we see what I talked about earlier about the, the art style changing and, and even Guts, and kind of implying Guts' perception having is changing and is more intensified. The art's more visceral, uh, sh- more sharper points, I guess, everywhere. Less uh, everything in focus. Yeah. As he continues this fight. It's interesting because we get that, first, you know, that double page of really, uh, like you said, frozen in time, you know, of guts piercing uh, some apostles' midsection. And then, you know, it's very clear, there's a white background, it's like really, you know, that frozen feeling. And then there's this mm-hmm. very dynamic, and it's like a blur of, you know, clothes and masks and everything, and you can tell it's just, you know, everything's going on at once. And, you know, then there's, it cuts to another shot that's like frozen, and then boom, more waving around and stuff you can't see, too fast for the eye to see. So I like how Mira did this to imply, you know, like we can't see, then there's one shot that's clear, and then it moves again, you know, too fast for the eye to follow, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> it's also, we didn't comment, on, I forgot to comment on it before, but the damage he's already sustained in that opening shot of this episode uh, it's pretty significant, you know. I mean, he hasn't lost any limbs or anything yet, but he's he's quite beat up. You know, he's yeah. his blood is just going everywhere wherever he's moving. Yeah, it's just like you know, uh, you know, Corcas earlier. He's just got you know wounds, slashes, gashes everywhere on his body. Yeah. So he's kind of bounding across the apostles, trying to escape, and he ends up flying off the side of the hand. Uh, uses the spike as leverage, slowest. Yeah. Descent and then ends up falling anyway. I, I like the, down I like the way he, how to say, some kind of, you know, jumps off of several masses and that try to bite him. You know, like they're all opening their mouths to just swallow him. Yeah. And he's you know, juggling with that. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Until he falls off the side, like you said. Right. Face first into the blood and viscera, yeah. and then he comes to a real realization very quickly that you know it's his friends or his comrades and. Screams out. I don't have the Japanese version in front of me, but it's actually a wordless scream, I yeah. think, at the bottom of that page. And then we get the full page, uh, more revealing about what it is that's he's surrounded by and covered in now. Yeah, blood, guts. And Right, and 
we talked to we talked a little bit earlier about the sound effects or the the in, the implicit sound of the, the scenery, and, and here is where I get silence, and you can just sort of feel the the silence of the of the events. Yeah, despite his screaming, because he's alone, you know, and that's that's what hits me about this scene here is he's, he's searching around for anyone, he's calling out names, and and he feels alone. Is is everyone gone? And, and the little look on his face when he says Cass. Yeah. You're wondering if Casca is alive. Yeah, it's, w- is she gone? it's what makes it uh, all the more, po- you know, poignant is that uh, he's calling out names, and you know, when he thinks of Casca, it's just you can you can almost feel that his uh, heart is stopping. You know, something a gut wrenching feeling. Right. And actually, you know, some relief in that Gaston is still alive, yeah. but unfortunately not for long. And yeah, and he's, he's pretty. We talked he's to, pretty badly beaten in any case. Like he's missing an oh arm. Yeah. He's he's just in a terrible shape. <clears throat> right, and you know, guts tries to get assess the situation, but Gaston just says he was fighting. You know, he doesn't really know where everyone else is, but he talks. About, we related this before during Carcass, but he has a similar reaction into not disbelieving. Everything that had happened, and saying everything began to feel otherworldly when Zod appeared. You know, if if someone if something like that can exist yeah. in this world, then you know what kind of world is there's this? There's one thing, uh, you know, I also find it cool is that one of the faces in the background, you can see it's crying tears tears of blood. You know, when Gut is yeah. holding Gaston, so it just adds up to the, you know, <clears throat> to the atmosphere and the general, you know, disgustingness of the place. Right. Um, he references the bonfire of dreams and that everything else had felt so unreal. Yeah. Uh, we've already touched on all this. I don't want to reiterate yeah. too much. So. Well, I think it's, but it's even, interesting that he yeah, it reiterates, like you said, a bit what we got before with Carcass. The you know the fact, uh, would say the average guys, the average Joe's point of view. You know the way they always won, the way things felt too good to be true. You know, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I think it's pretty. Again, it's a uh, it's pretty important that we see this because Gaston is like, he's the average guy. You know, he's a designated average guy, and uh, <clears throat> yeah. And he comments on Griffith actually as well, which is interesting because of everything we know about you know who Griffith is in in, in the scope of the Berserk world, and he says that. Griffith was like someone out of legend, yeah. Uh, and we've we've seen him compared to that a number of times, notably Casca, thinking that he was some kind of painting come alive. Yeah. Well, you know, even you know, uh, I would say Corcas also, you know, often got yeah. into an argument with Guts because, you know, it's just actually one thing that's interesting is that one of the main things that Corcas had against Guts is that he thought he could be, you know, the equal to Griffiths or, you know, Griffiths. He treated Griffiths as he was a normal person and not somebody that was special. Whereas all the others right. saw him as someone who was really special. And that's, again, it's just a reiteration of that, I think. Yeah, the thing is, they misunderstand is Guts was treating him with respect. Just, you know, Guts' brand of respect. Well, yeah, and it's just, it's true Guts didn't see him as some kind of... Ad- untouchable guy or anything like that like the others did yeah. so you know but I mean it's not like that's abnormal sure so we then see Gaston's head begin yeah. deforming her and What's, then his face yeah, explodes it's actually pretty for no, go ahead for, for it for it to happen to this guy right in front of Guts face first and to see I didn't need to see the inside of Gaston's face 
you know? Yeah, well, I think it's made, you know, I think a lot of things in Volume 13 are made to be, you know, shocking to the reader. Uh, I've often talked about this, but to me, this volume is made to, you know, to put us in the guts place, to, to help you understand, not just him, because we also get to see things from the point of view, a bit of Casca of the others, but especially guts, and it helps you, you know, understand he's some kind of, you know, the voiceless rage that he feels for apostles in general, you know, some kind of a feeling that you can't just can't go away every time he closes his eyes, and uh, yeah, to have seen his like his right, right-hand guy, you know, uh, die like that in front of him, it's just you know, it's uh, it's horrible. And there's a bunch of that here. I mean, this this is this is a sequence of events of guts being tortured by the deaths of his yeah. comrades. You know, the next twenty pages or yeah. so. Um, <laughs> And the, the one that, you know, this, this t- I mean, relatively tiny apostle emerges from his well, you know, you body. Know, I you think know. what happens here is, first I'd like to say that it's actually, what makes it even worse is that Gaston is saying like, oh, it looks like, you know, I'm going to die anyway. And Gus is just, you know, no, no, we can't, who to say, we, we can't go on. And right. then he dies like that. And yeah, as far as he, you know, the things that emerges, I think it's, a, you know, a pseudo apostle. Probably Gaston was like, mm. I don't know infected with a parasite of impregnated whatever you want to call it you know and the thing grew inside Got him it. and yeah just blew his head off because it doesn't look like it's just it's a real apostle so, so but yeah it makes his death even more horrible especially the fact that Gus yeah. can't even get it you know the thing just you know and I mean like it's there's a, there's a number of things here it's it's the fact that it happened that way for his head to pop like yeah. that. There's that aspect. But also just the idea of one of these things being in your head like that. It's just horrifying, you know, and to have it crawl out of your body yeah. like that. It's just, oh. Because it's, uh, you yeah. know, it looks like it takes, what say, it was lodged in his spine and it looks like it even, yeah. you know, what say, goes away with its with his spine. You know, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's pretty, pretty horrible. And the, the thing... It's the yeah. worst to me. It's the worst death to me. And, and the thing itself is fucking disgusting, man. I mean, you know, Mira yeah. really outdid himself here. It's kind of the worst parasite you can think of. The thing is fucking, yeah, it's fucking odious. Yeah. The jigged tongue sticking in the face, within the, the mouth, and all that. Yeah. Everything. And there's some kind of yeah, baby's face, a kind of deformed baby's face inside the other mouth of the other face. You know, it's just, you know, yeah. And it would have been something if Guts had managed to score in a hit, because he grabs his sword immediately and tries to stab down, but it just taunts him by laughing as it yeah. you know, crawls yeah. away. Sweet. Guts has this horrified look on yeah. his face. Yeah. And he actually, and you know, I like this moment as well. Is you know, we don't get a full shot of Gaston's face, thank God, at this point, but you can see him looking at him, and he's trem- Guts is trembling and yeah. saying, repeating his name as he's looking down, saying goodbye to his friend, even though this horrifying thing had just happened. And then he detects something on the hill yeah. or behind him, and it's Pippin. And what is horrible about this is, you know, Pippin being a big, strong guy, you know, immovable object, you know, muscular, massive. Yeah. And then he's just torn in two immediately, right in front of Guts, like like a twig, well, you know, snap. You know, to me, the worst part is that you see his figure and you see Guts running to him and calling out and he gets that something's wrong and you see those two tendrils yeah. on the side and then there's a shot of him from the back and you can see that he's been hollowed out, you know? He's been yeah. eviscerated, like eaten and there's just a shell left, just the armor and, you know, some stuff left but it's, he's empty inside and, and so yeah, he's just torn apart like, you know, an empty carcass 
and that's yeah, yeah. that even yeah for guts is even more more horrible. And of course, it's the count yeah. uh, as the, the episode begins. Yes, the end of the episode, beginning of episode being the count's appearance. Uh, guts, you know, dives backwards to to dodge it, and then he see kind of the whole. Uh, scenery then kind of like comes into focus for him and he realizes there's you know tons yeah. of well maybe they were hiding yeah, they, I, I, but they I think come. they were probably just you know yeah in, in hiding you know around the yeah. corner or anything like that and now they're all just coming out and of course all of them are right. just you know they've got trophies dead bodies that kind of stuff oh yeah there's there's some really creepy ass stuff here like one's wearing a face on his face yeah. Um, one of them has fingers, uh, you know, a, a hand or a face on each finger. Yeah. We see carcasses, the remains of carcass in the yeah. mouth of the female apostle. And then there's this horrifying, like, bugbear-looking thing, just, like, hoarding them yeah. like teddy bear dolls, yeah, like, clutching them to his it's, chest. It's like uh, toys, or, you know, yeah, it's pretty. And, and you know, in the middle of that, you've got just Gut's eyes, you know, wide, wide eyes. Yeah. Yeah, he generally uses that. I mean, it's a moment of terror, but it's also, like... That he's experiencing all these things from first person, you know, this kind of mm. thing. Um, you know, before we continue with the scene, just want to say, like, how do you come back from this? How do you shift gears for apostles? Like, this this is irredeemable. There's no way you can make apostles some kind of noble or even, like, redeemable characters at this point. Well, and in any case, it's not, it's just not in their characters, you know. Like, you can tell... You know, from everything, from their design, from the way they think, they act, everything that they're just, you know, they're just monsters. And uh, even now, even currently, uh, with all that's going on, you know, and uh, in Falconia and everything, you know, when Locus showed it to Rickert, I mean, you know, they're still the same. Even though they are masquerading, even though maybe people think they're saviors or anything like that, but at their heart, they're still monsters. And actually, Locus says as much. You know, that they might say it's to train, it's to keep fighting, to stay sharp, but the truth is they just want, you know, they, they just crave blood. And uh, that's what, that's in their nature. Right. So, <clears throat> I and, broke off, but yeah, basically I'm just going to say one thing more. And it also, I think, again, it says something about Zod's character that he refuses to be part of this. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, it could indirectly say something about those that we don't see here, you know? Those that, like Locus yeah. and, and Grunbeld and all those. Yeah, I agree. Either way, um, at that moment, just the, I like the page where uh, Guts is looking up, kind of a low-angle shot of him. We see the eclipse almost in the Apostles as well, almost on, like, charcoal. You know, everything gets, again, it's more and more, the visuals yeah, are getting more and more intense. Yeah, it's blurry, yeah. Yeah, and then all, uh, the the final the the lower panel there. I don't even know what to make of that. It looks like some kind of tribal art. It's so warped and deformed. Yeah, I think it's again. It shows, you know, maybe it's it shows things through his vision. You know, as he's some kind mm. of losing, you know, uh, focus and you know acting more on instinct. But yeah, it's like some kind of insect, insect, you know, legs that are just holding all these heads. Right. And we turn the page and we see that we, we see Guts almost at his complete limit, you know, saying, you know, screaming out to them. Uh, really f super stylized, just, just 
I don't, I don't, I don't have many words for this. I think the visuals kind of speak for themselves. Yeah. I mean, those that have read the volume know which one I'm talking about. But it's, it's very striking, very impressive. Yeah, she's angular. She's, she's rage. That's, uh, you know, that's the beginning of the Black Souls man. You know, it's this kind of rage. Yeah. And what yeah. I like, and that's a thing Mira does often, is that he's got this rage, this very intense feeling, and then the next page, he's stopped dead in his tracks before he even starts. Yep. By seeing this, there's this shot of Casca held upside down in front of him, uh, which is actually, I think, it's really well composited, and his face has a reaction. <clears throat> right, actually, I like the way it's shown. You're right, the way it's composed is, is fascinating because we see behind Casca with Guts in the background so we're seeing kind of multiple levels yeah. there that is interesting how that was portrayed and then we see Guts perspective sort of yeah um, and at that point we get like again these, these panels are unlike anything in the whole series uh, Guts basically at his absolute limit you know tearing through all these apostles and again the art has just completely transformed into this, this yeah. you know, black and white high contrast Intensity. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's this it? focus on you. You see them, they hold her, and you see that, like Hulk says, the tentacles are tearing her flesh, like almost in real time. You see the blood, you know, flowing. It's like they, they are pretty much purposely, you know, uh, harming her in front of him, you know, to make him suffer. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I think right. that's, you know, it's, it says a lot again about apostles. You said they are unredeemable, and again, that says a lot about them. Is that they're pretty much, you know. Like they, you know, came out to him in front like that, and when he's really enraged, then they, you know, pop up the little gift, you know, the surprise, and they're just taking pleasure in torturing, you know, uh, him with, you know, her like that, and uh, and yeah, I like right. the fact that that focus with her, you know, that double page, uh, with a white background, and then you've got he's rushing, and there's all these masks, you know, in a darker at the bottom, you know. Right. Um, I wanted to focus a little bit real quickly on the damage that had been done to Casca, and it's a super uncomfortable topic, I know, but we're here, we're here at this volume. We may as well blow open this argument. So, this comes up pretty regularly. Was Casca raped by Femto alone, or was she also raped by the Apostles? And often people use these, these, pa these particular panels as uh, showing her bleeding as being, yes, she was raped before Femto, but there's a suspense in this scene here uh, with the giant phallic apostle, you know, kind of like positioning himself below her like that yeah. and guts racing towards her before anything happens. And then the heart thumps and Femto descends. So if you buy that she was already raped then there's no tension here, there's no built in tension to the scene. And, We've already seen that she was bleeding from other parts of her body, so it's totally yeah. feasible that she yeah was from I, that. I think so. you know when you we first see her actually she's not bleeding you know she's got wounds on her back that are you know yeah. the blood is kind of dry and uh, we don't see any blood you know going down from anywhere even though we get some pretty good shots on there and then you see that the the tentacles holding her are actually. You know, like he's—it's like the guy scratching her in real time, to, and you know, you see that now blood's flowing. It flows from everywhere, and I think, well, you know, that's uh, that's simply where the the blood comes from. As you see, we get some pretty specific shots of the, I don't know, the kind of claws, you know, drawing blood from her body in uh, various yeah. places, and yeah, you can see that 
uh, they are converging towards her and the guy holding her is yeah, positioning her to pretty much uh, kill her by impaling her you know uh, through her private parts in front of guts so again it's a yeah i mean like the whole there's a, there's a visual narrative happening yeah. here and it's about suspense yeah, exactly and to say that she was already raped completely throws that narrative of away of course and, and there's so. also another thing is that uh well you know like when you look at these guys it's not like you know, it's not like a rape, you know, and you just, you know, go home, you know, like you're dead. Right, this, sure. This guy, you know, he was, he was about to kill her. His, uh, his head is a spike that's uh, almost yeah. as big as a midsection. So, uh, <clears throat> and yeah, I think it's again, like you said, it's a, there's a narrative of Guts looking for his friends. You know, he's distraught, you know, just thinking of Casca. Then these guys have been keeping her. You know, uh, you know, what's at the back, and they're like, "Surprise! Look at this!" And yeah, just as she's about to be raped, killed, you know, raped slash killed, because that's uh, the same uh, result. Say impaled. Yeah, pretty much impaled. Uh, well, you, like you said, you know, there's that, you know, thump, and you know, they're all stopped, and that's, you know, something I, I said in a post a long time ago, but. Uh, I'm going to diverge a bit here, but when you, 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 we got not so long ago, uh, you know, Wild was attacking Guts, Casca rushed to help him, he held her, and he was about to rape her, you know, and Guts right. rolls up, and, you know, he saves the day at the last moment, and she was saved like that, and they managed to get through, and, you know, it's, you know, in the stories, this kind of thing, well, that's all, always how it goes, you know, it's a close call, almost, everything like that, and in this, this time, you know, you've got the same situation, you know, Guts is fighting everything, then, as she's about to be impaled, you know, it stops, and you get the feeling, you know, like, wow, you're relieved, you know, it's almost over, then, you know, <laughs> yeah, but that's what makes it all the more horrible, you know, you can tell that Mura really saw this through. Then there's this scene of Fem2 being born, everything like that, and you know, then she gets raped, you know, slowly and deliberately in front of guts. And that's what makes it horrible. You know, it could have happened in you know many other ways, but the, the fact it happened like this, that's what makes it horrible. You know, it, it makes it much more powerful than just having her be gangbanged like, you know, by twelve apostles. Yeah. That's off, off screen. Yeah, that's, that has no meaning, and that's just you know, like narratively speaking, you know, it's just you know, it makes no sense and it has no power. So I think it's pretty clear. You know, one thing that people often you know say in regard to this, you know, she's always thinking back to of about the apostles. You know, when she's in danger, when she's being attacked. You know, when you know uh, brigands are trying to rape her again, stuff like that. But you know, that's because of the scene we talked about earlier. You know, when they are all crawling towards her like that and she's being held by all mm-hmm. these hands you know and I think that scene specifically because at this point she's unconscious I think that scene specifically is the one that's the strongest for her that feeling of claustrophobia powerlessness you know being overwhelmed yep. by all these guys and you know they are not just about to uh, assault her you know sexually but also just you know kill her you know, devour her well it's everything like that I think that feeling of terror is what's the strongest for her and that's why we often, you know, well, go back to these shots. She has those flashbacks. I mean, you've said it, but I wanted to kind of expound on that. Is is powerlessness she's she's feeling, and the the sensation is similar, and so it's evoking the same memories. And it's like guts it doesn't like being touched after yeah. you know Donovan assaults him. So it's not dissimilar, just more extreme. Yeah, what had happened to Cass? And there's also you know? that you know that aspect of being overwhelmed, of being one against many, you know, surrounded. Yeah. 
can't escape and uh, yeah that's uh, that's also something that makes that scene very strong and of course in, in this case that scene of Casca being at the mercy of Apostle is is more something for guts you know I think the, uh, I, well, I was about to say for guts benefit but of course he's more like for his you know <laughs> I don't even know the opposite of benefit but the, the case <laughs> is uh, it's you know one of the things that's the most traumatic for him probably right so right before the heart thumps, you know, Guts actually, it's actually interesting if you track the action happening, because, you know, he's doing damage, but they're all kind of super superficial wounds. I mean, it looks like he's getting some, some real hits in there. Who really knows? But it's actually, he's he's taking so much damage. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's downplayed a lot when you reread this quickly, is that it's not like he's dodging all the hits. He's getting quite yeah. a bit, you know, but he's just, he's just rising the, the up. The thing is... Yeah, the thing him. is, he's trying to get through. He's not trying to do anything. He's yeah. trying to get through in time. And I think another thing that's you know determinant is that he actually fails. You know, like if the you know if they didn't stop for Femto's birth, he would have failed, and they would have killed her in front of him. And uh, because yeah. Borkov actually you know uh, snaps his arm and you know just you know holds him there, and uh, <clears throat> and we actually get a delayed shot, and we we can see that his arm is pretty pretty fucked. Yeah. It's not so much his arm as his hand or his forearm, but uh, yeah, we can see that it's pretty, it's held on tight. Right. <laughs> and then the heart is a bethump or dokun. And everyone turns towards it, including the one that was about to impale Casca, and we see these veins kind of rise along the arm. Uh, and we see the, the mouths dr drinking in the blood from the, the pool yeah. at the base of the yeah, hand. Yeah, we see the blood yeah, pumping the, it upwards. Yeah, the blood being pumped, yeah. And the final panel of the page is Femto, uh, kind of representation of him with all the kind of the, the core of where the veins are headed, of course, yeah. you know. And what I like is kind of like a kind of a zero gravity effect oh, of the yeah. blood coming off totally, of his Totally, yeah, the blood you know? is going up, which is something uh, it's almost unexplainable. It's just, you know, uh, magic. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't have an explanation. It's just a cool effect. And it's a, it's a surreal, <laughs> creepy effect. Yep. Um... And then we come to the next episode. Uh, I like after, that, and the the apostles are yeah. talking, saying this is the birth of the the fifth. I like king. that interstitial page. You know, it's a preview with yeah. the claw, you know, just before his eye. Plus, it's you know, it's it's the hint of violence, but also the fact that guts is crying. Yeah, and it's just you know that whole moment encapsulated in that one mm. little panel. Just the impression it made on guts, the scar it left on him. So yeah. So when the burst comes, you know, again, it's a time where, you know, time is frozen. But for real this time, they're all right. stopped in awe and waiting to see, you know, to experience the birth. Yeah, and so we get names for the God Hand. I don't think we'd had those <coughs> until now. Is that right? Uh, I think yeah. we did, actually. I'm not sure. I was about to say I, I like the, the look of God's face. Like you said, we can see the wounds. We can see that he's pretty badly beaten up. But uh, right, and what's his expression? It's just really enigmatic. He, I think uh, he's a. Uh, I don't know what to read. I think he's a. Uh, he's stunned in a way. I mean, he looks to me. It's an expression yeah. of his eye looks very defiant and you know full of rage. But his mouth and you know yeah. the rest, he looks uh, a bit stunned. You know, uh, right. Also expectant. You know, right. Like what's gonna happen yeah. next, kind of thing. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we had God Hand names before now. Oh. But the way it's introduced like this is it's inter I love the vertical paneling of it. And we get little profile views of all the God Hand members except for Femto, of course. 
and they say that you uh the newest kinsman to wear the to wear the mantle of evil uh and they call him wings of darkness subasa no kami i think uh yamino subasa yamino subasa right sorry and then he uh he unfurls his wings he's covered in blood and he Guts has a good view of him, and you have a little you kind of see Guts' perspective before you get the full blown shot of Femto. And you know we talked about it before. His, his eyes are you know tight, uh, shut tightly, and you can see the to, kind of just the, clarify, but we did get the names before in Volume Three. We yeah, did really. Three, yeah. Okay, my bad. But yeah, we talked about it before. But you know, I also like not just the eye being squinting like that from Femto, but also you can really see the inside of his helmet and everything. It really gives the impression that it's like this, the skin that you see within, even that is just a part of the body, just to, just as the rest of the body of the armor is the body. It gets a false impression that the skin is the body, I guess is what I'm saying. Anyway, um, full play, full page shot of Femto. And I want to talk a little bit about before anything happens here about, <clears throat> who Femto is, you know, what, what's, what's, what is Femto to us? What is Femto meant to be to readers? Who is he in relation to Griffith? You know, I, I'm not going to define all, all of these things because I think some of that's left to readers, but you know, he's, he's basically to me, he's like the, the, the idealized evil version of Griffith because it's not like Griffith died and this is some new monster. You know, this is, he retains characteristics of Griffith. Yeah. He retains, you know, uh, it, it's his it's his soul having been corrupted by evil, and this is what he chose as his new form. I mean, that's kind of all the explanation you're going to get within lore. But I guess the question I wanted to ask is, is is who is he meant to be to readers? What how how much can we identify with this new character? Can we identify with this new character? Well, you know, I think the antagonist, and uh, I think the relation to to Griffith is pretty clear. I mean, when Guts first encounters him, he calls him Griffith, you know? He, he doesn't call him Femto. So, <clears throat> yeah. so I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think the relationship is pretty clear, and I would say he's the antagonist, you know, very simply. And I, sure. I think the first thing he does, you know, after his, you know, birth, uh, is a pretty clear, I mean, summons the fact he's a big bad guy uh, pretty clearly to, to the reader. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, Femto spreads his uh, spreads his wings. Opens we're not there. Either, but yeah, I actually find that shot very creepy. You know, so. Oh yeah, well, right before that, you know, he flies down from the hand yeah. down to the ground level where Guts is. I love the 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 two page spread where you see his wings outspread. Like they're like bat wings, but they're also a part of his body. Yeah, you know, his cape is part of his body. And then he lands very dramatically. And yeah, the slow. I mean, it's not slow, but. The look he gives, which is also the volume opening page, the cold look, the coldness of it, the completely devoid of emotion. Yeah. You know? The him he'd always wanted to be in terms of lack of emotion. Um, and yeah, Guts says his name, Griffith. But at this point, the next page, I love the past. The apostles are bowing. You know, they're they're they have their eyes closed and their heads bowed uh, in the presence yeah, of Femto. Yeah, and all, you can see that they're all surrounding him in Guts, and yeah. And he says his name again, uh, Griff, and uh, Femto yeah. just gives him yeah, this look. Yeah, it's just, you know, completely emotionless. He just doesn't react. Uh, what, what I liked right. is that he has this kind of voiceless communication where he just opens his arm, you know, 
and the lower yeah. casca to him. Yeah, I wondered about the mechanism there, but it doesn't really matter. But he has, you know, apostles obey him. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not like it was prearranged or anything. It's just it, it really it just shows his power. You know, it shows his relationship with the apostles. Yeah, as well. well, he's there. You know, he's a ruler. You know, at least one of them. Yeah. and so they defer to him. So you know, even though these guys were about to have their fun, you know, they are just you know, give him the morsel to to Femto just because he's there. <clears throat> yeah. The way this happens, the gesturing, his, what he's conveying here, it's all very disturbing. And I, I like to think of this not as, it's just not just the rape of Casca. It's also Guts is being raped to a certain extent. And so is the audience for having oh, yeah, to experience course, this in so vis- visceral a fashion. And this whole scene, it, I mean, it's the culminating point of this whole volume. And it's, it is an inescapable nightmare. The fact that we're trapped here, the fact that all all hope of resistance at this point has been completely put away. Guts, you know, Guts, the final remaining Falcon, his hand is just trapped there. There's no nothing he can do. And even later, when he has some kind of resistance, even that is struck down immediately. Yeah. So it just le- it leaves the reader feeling like just utterly helpless and utterly you cannot you cannot stop what's about to happen, and we're going to make you yeah. watch it. You know that that's it's a, rape. a yeah, it's a defining moment uh, for this volume and for for Guts. Both Guts and Casca's trauma, you know, in, in regard to the eclipse, you know, uh, for Casca, for uh, the loss of her mind, and for Guts, this inescapable sight, you know, that is forever, forever with him, you know, the, la- the last sight of his eye, of his, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, something he actually refers to it, you know, in the, you know, later on in the manga, but, and you can tell it's very, very traumatic, and of course, it's also very difficult for the audience, <coughs> but that's, the other thing is that it's difficult, you know, by choice, deliberately. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, I've actually have never seen people debate this, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, I, I actually really appreciate the fact Mira went, what say, decided to, you know, uh, impose this on the audience to make them feel the pain. And, you know, like you said, it's almost also a rape of the audience. But I would say, yeah, it makes you experience both Casca and Guts' pain, you know, in this situation. Uh, and it's, that's why it's very difficult for the audience to bear. But uh, I think it was very courageous of Mira to do. And it also makes it very effective. Because, <clears throat> like I said earlier, you can really feel, I mean, as, as a first-time reader when I read this scene, I could really feel and I could really Id- identify with Guts' feelings, you know, his rage, his hatred of, of Apostles, you know, that's something you can't, you can't deny him that, you know, you can really, you know, it's justified, you know, like he's cruised against Apostles, the fact he wants to kill all of them, regardless, whatever, you know, that's something, it's just, it's justified. And <clears throat> I think it's interesting when you oppose it to, for example, what happened in the last episode, you know, Locus uh, showed, you know, things to to Rickert, and then he went on to see Griffiths, and Griffiths, you know, uh, served him the same bullshit he served everyone, and Gr- Rickert just slapped him in the, in the face, you know, and uh, I think, yeah, when you've seen that scene, when you've read those volumes, you know, and from the Eclipse, everything culminating to this point, well, yeah, you know, that's the only response you can you can get, you know, just a slap to the face, or if it was Guts, you know, Dragon Slayer to the face, but this, the point is, there's no, like you said earlier, there's no coming back from that. That goes for apostles, and that goes for Femto. You know, you sometimes get people who say, well, maybe Griffiths 
rebel against the god hand and he's not that bad a guy and you know that's just you know you can't you can't have this discourse it's just you know just it's unredeemable yeah I, that's in addition to everything you said about the way Mira chose to to show it like he, he almost couldn't i mean if you can i can't imagine berserk having not had this scene in it had it been a little more family friendly you know it it wouldn't have left the same impression on him yeah the it the, the impact is like very it. strong, yeah. Like you said, it's just like you can. The impact is as strong on the guts as it does on the reader. Yeah. Um, a couple things I wanted to note about the progression here is that Casca's unconscious uh, at, at the start of it, and then she starts to have sensations, and she she wakes and she sees what's happening in front of her, and she she calls out for Griffith or say it begins to Griffith, and he gets his look in her eye, and he just you know puts his mouth in her. Yeah, mind. she she wakes and she he she sees his face, you know, uh, pretty much right. right in front of him of her, and yeah, she's like you know Griff, and yeah, he just kisses her right away, and you know you you can tell throughout the scene, you you, you know what what uh, I would say is, I think it's pretty tastefully done. First, you, you don't get to see much, but you get to see most of all reaction shots. You know, you see God's face, he's some kind of incredible you know incredulous face, you know. Uh, you see mm-hmm. apostles, you know, looking on, their eyes glowing from the dark. Uh, you know, we get a lot of scenes like that. Uh, and then there's Guts try to, to free himself. <clears throat> well, I also like how the art style is gravitating or, or changing, depending on who it's focusing on. With Guts and with, with Femto and Casca, it's all very, uh, it's all in focus. Whereas you go to Guts or even the apostles and it starts to get more visceral. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot more movement happening, and of course, any time he's moving, he's just popping blood from all of his wounds. And of course, you know, he tries to free himself, uh, and it's very, uh, what's the word, iconic. Yeah, the sword, the sword, the sword breaks on uh, on Borkov, you know, and then he stabs his own arm with that, you know, half broken sword, while Fem- he doesn't even hesitate. That's what I love yeah. is the sword breaks. You get a shot of his his eye for a moment, and then it's immediate. He just goes straight for yeah. his arm. You know, it is. It's not like he's like, well, he doesn't yeah, think about and it. And again, it's pretty. It. It's it's a very symbolic scene for guts. It's very iconic. He just, you know, he won't stop at, at anything. And there's this shot of Femto's eyes, who's looking, yeah. and he's just again his, his eyes. He's just expressionless. He's just looking, you know, like that. And uh, we get these shots of the God End, who are just, you know, enjoying the the spectacle. <clears throat> I think it's the most impressed we've seen Femto. I can't think of another scene quite like that. I think it's meant to be a reaction shot, the look in his eyes. But you're right, it is expressionless. But I guess the timing and the placement of it makes me think it is a reaction yeah, shot. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, it's a bit like the Skull Knight. Is the fact his you know, face never really moves or changes or anything. Sure. But I'm saying you can read some of the intent behind the placement of the panel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, you know, he's looking at it, but... Uh, whether he's impressed or just, you know, I wouldn't know. But uh, in any case... But Void looks pretty pleased with himself. <laughs> yeah, Void looks, yeah, he looks like he's having fun. That being said, <laughs> that's just, you know, I mean, it's not like he ever opens his eyes or isn't showing his teeth. Sure, you know? oh, no. uh, Yubik yeah. says, uh, I know. Yubik says Zhang Ho and he has a little heart oh, yeah, next yeah. to him. Well, the, I mean, the, the you know, there's no doubt that the God and are enjoying themselves. That's what I said. Yeah. So Guts looks completely frenzied, 
and uh, you know femto actually at the time you know uh, starts you know penetrating casca and everything like that and you can tell you, you see your face you can tell she feels pain you know uh, you get these shots where he finally guts finally you know cuts through his arm so you get you see all these tendons and everything like that mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> I like how these shots are shown you see you know femto's eyes still unmoving casca's mouth you know probably you know screaming or yelling you see you know fluid blood you know which is done on a black background to imply that she's bleeding from you know her private parts and then there's this shot of her you know like screaming in full with tears in her eyes <coughs> uh, and it moves to the, to the other page yeah this other page is very um, there's, a, there's an effect happening here yeah, I think it's uh, I, I, I've always taken it as pain you know going through her body yeah. you know like from mm. you know her you know uh, what to say bottom to you know through her head you know that way right yeah actually I've always wondered <laughs> if the effect going through her head was meant intentionally or not or if it was an, a mistake of the effect because it is it's very otherwise it's very surreal what's happening yeah I, I think it's uh, it's made to convey pain you know it's the way she's screaming mm. like that and uh, I think it's just you know like it must be you know like splitting her in half, you know, because of the the fact that she's branded. Right, yeah. That's something I always fail to remember whenever this is happening, is that what she must be enduring because of the fact that she's in that close proximity. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's a uh, thing that's a bit, uh, how to say, it's not really well defined. At what point their brain start to bleed or not, at what point they start to feel the pain. And, you know, I mean, given all they're already enduring, does it even make a difference, Yeah, you know? So the brain is not bleeding, but you know, is is it you know giving her pain? I I think it probably does. Well, I think they say in volume three that even being this close to a god him member should make you yeah, pass of course, out, yeah. Basically. My point is like is so. uh is the thing already walking like you know in this at this time just mm. after being branded or not? Okay. So, but yeah, got yeah, it, yeah, I agree it. with that. Anyway, then we we cut to guts with his arm, you know, finally sliced off. We actually get to see really the details, you know, the bones we see, all the vessels, everything. And, uh, yeah, that's how the episode ends. We've got, you know, with his trademark, you know, white eyes, you know, yelling Griffith's name and covered in blood. Uh, God, what, I mean, of all cliffhangers in the entire series, for the episode to end there with Guts finally free, having a potential to d- interrupt this horrible event. Yeah. You know, what a way to end it. I can't imagine that hope there wasn't a delay on that one. Uh, no, there wasn't. There wasn't, I know. I, I guess it's actually worth noting that he spit these out very, very rapidly. Yeah, at the time, he there was no break. I, uh, I think uh, once uh, once a year, just one week, uh, one yeah. week there was no publication. Right. It continues. Uh, Guts, it kind of reiterates Guts being free in the next episode, with um, and he's barreling towards Femto. Yeah, you, we see. Uh, I love. I love the profile shot of Guts. Yeah. The, the, the position of his face, all the angles. Uh, I was actually. The, the yeah, going to say we see Guts. You know, his arm cutting off, and we see blood uh, flowing from you know Casca's uh, you know private path. So it's also reiterating you know uh, what's happening, the pain for her, and she looks she looks passed sure. out again a bit. You know, I mean at least in dazed as he rushes towards Griffiths. If you look at the blood coming down um, his nose into his mouth as he's screaming Griffith, the blood's kind of like spew- s- s- pushing out a little bit, yeah. you know. 
Almost as if it's like the force of his voice. Is yeah, I out. think it's meant to to show that. Yeah, and uh, I, I like the title of that uh, that episode as well. You know, which references yeah. what happens to his uh, to his eye. Right. Yeah. It is. A, it is one of the cooler episode mm-hmm. titles as well, or the more, I guess I don't know, mem- memorable episode titles. So I like how we see. You know, Femto looks. We see, uh, you know, we, see, we there's a shot of his, you know, of his eye looking, and then we see the, you know, arms of many apostles, uh, pinning us down. Yeah. And uh, I always take it as, you know, Femto, you know, again wordlessly commanding them to just, you know, uh, pin him down, you know, because it, again, right. it's, you know, it shows what this scene is all about. Femto is torturing guts, you know. It's, you know, <laughs> it's really the thing is, you know, adding insult to injuries. Not only is he torturing guts, but he's using Casca as a, a mere tool for that, you know. He's just using her as a yeah. as a means to, to do that, showing, like, literally no regards for her. So it's really, for both of them, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's something I wanted to talk about a little bit was basically why... You know, we know why we, we know why Miura chose to portray it like this, but why, why Femto's first act being rape? Why make Guts watch? Why something so cruel? I mean, he made her feel these things against her will. I, I'm just wondering what you think. The intent here was other than kind of a, it's revenge against Guts for making him feel powerless, as, as the way I've always. Well, yeah, I, I mean, very that. simply, uh, he he had you know a grudge against Guts against Guts, which was not. Uh, honestly, I think it was uh, completely, um, if I call to say, unreasonable, you know, like un- unwarranted. Yeah. And um, yeah, he wanted to torture him. And I think it's, uh, it was mm-hmm. a way, you know, uh, like the best way to, you know, to inflict him pain is to force him to watch that powerlessly, uh, knowing that Casca herself couldn't defend herself. So in, in a way, it's a punishment for both of them, you know. It's a uh, you know punishment for Casca for not being right. as devoted to Griffiths as you know he would have wanted her to be I guess and uh, it's a punishment for guts uh, for everything Griffiths you know uh, would uh, blame him for and uh, and yeah it's a, it's a way to punish both of them and uh, I think it's just you know <clears throat> yeah it's just that it, it's very petty actually it's it's very petty of, of Griffiths. And, uh- it's all. It's also the fact that it was a new relationship. You know, he he noticed it happening. You know, on their yeah, escape. You know, he knows. He, he knew that they had feelings for each other, and it's a relatively new relationship. Um, yeah, I, I, I But actually, I mean, I I, I was going ahead. to say I think it's also a punishment for that relationship specifically. You know, like not just for you know separately not being you know uh, faithful little teen soldiers for him, but also because they actually found each other. And you know, uh, how to say, we're in love and anything like that. And uh, yeah, it's also punishment for 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 that. Even though he himself was not interested in, in you know pursuing a relationship, but it it was punishment right. for that. And again, it's it's the kind of thing where I mean, I think that the missing ingredient from everything you've just described was even in all that Griffith the man would not have taken such drastic action. But the fact that this is Griffith. <laughs> the idealized evil version of Griffith's feelings. That's how he chooses to exact his revenge. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's, that's a, that's a key point is that this is, this is what a God hand member would do for revenge. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. And, uh, the point being that he doesn't even, you know, he does it. It's like, you know, how to say it's, it's a very cold, he does it in a very cold way as well. You know, he's, he's not, yeah. 
he's not deriving any pleasure from this. He's not, you know, he's not he's not oh, gloating. Right, yeah. He's not gleeful or anything. He's just doing it very coolly and calculatively to inflict as much pain as possible. And you can tell by the fact he's continuously looking at guts, you know, and just you know, and he's mm-hmm. enjoying that. It's like look, look, you know, and uh, yeah. Also, just some, something throughout this entire sequence, and, act, and in fact, throughout the entire volume, he doesn't say a word the entire yeah. time. You know, something you can kind of you can kind of overlook that in the, in the course of events. But the fact that he's doing such a cruel act and giving these cold looks without even saying anything throughout, throughout the entire thing. Yeah. You know. And Slan actually says that it's touching. It, it touches her how beautiful this is. That there's all these combined elements. You know, love, hate, pain, pleasure, life, and death. This is to be human. This is to be evil. Uh, it is. It's just. It adds to the depravity of the scene. The fact that they are able to see virtue. In yeah. It. Was, and it really. You know. It is. It also gives us insight into the God Hand more than we normally would. Actually, that this is what they would enjoy. Yeah. Of course. Know? Yeah. They're just. You know. Why well, again? It fits. It completely fits their character. You know, a surge yeah. of emotion, uh, especially negative ones. You know, uh, it just. You know. Yeah, that's just what they what they thrive on. Right. And again, again, um, we see you know that, that you know Luke Femto's eyes, you know, as he looks at guts, you know, and he's just contorting Casca and just you know being violent with her. Right. There's this this effect that starts happening around now, where these spots start to appear on yeah, Casca's uh, around Casca's, yeah, on Casca's head. head. Actually, you know, there's a an interesting parallel to this. <laughs> which people okay. don't often mention it's uh, in uh, in volume 9 actually uh, when Guts and Casca make love for the first time uh, you see you know Guts you know uh, he he gets he loses his mind you know he's reminded of the time he was raped by Donovan and you mm-hmm. see uh, as he gets violent with her in that scene you see these you know uh, I would say bright spots around his head as well you know it starts around his head his face his eye and then you see he some kind of transfers his mind to Casca against the tree and then that's where he starts hallucinating and uh, mm. I find it interesting that it happens like that and uh, I'm wondering if it's well I mean it's not nothing new but I've always thought it might be an indication that she's losing her mind you know this this point you know these you know little sparks everything around her, her face most of the time uh, I, I think just before you know the the what says the rape ends and she falls down, and I think it's, uh, it might be an indication of the time you know, just before you know just to, as she's telling Gus not to look, uh, her mind goes off. Right. I was gonna say that the timing of that line is key because it, it it's you know you, you're trying to pinpoint the moment that her insanity happened, you know it's it's sometime after that because she soberly tells Guts you know don't watch yeah you know, right before. Uh, uh, his eyes penetrated. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. Uh, uh, oh. Why were you asking <laughs> me a question? Sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably re-record the last thirty seconds. Two oh six. I was simply saying. Um, yeah, I see. That her, her. No, ahead. yeah, like you said, well, it's it's what I meant. Uh, you know, I I think you know that you know those last words. You know, don't look, and then it, it goes like that, and then that's it. You know, that's you know yeah. her. You know, as it ends. You know, I think it's no coincidence that these you know start happening precisely at that time. You know, 
and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to pinpoint the moment that her mind had broken, and, and I, I I take it as immediately after this act. Yeah. And then when she passes out, that's yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't think it's like flipping a switch, you know, it's an ongoing process. And as you you, you see her, you know, thinking no, you know, uh, and, you know, it mm-hmm. goes on, and uh, she tells, you know, guys not to look. And, you know, as she's finally, uh, I mean, finally, I guess, uh, re- regaining some sort of consciousness because for most of the time she's, you know, in, in the days. And, uh, and yeah. Then it ends, you know, you know, pretty much right after that. Femto opens her mouth with his finger, you know, and kisses her, and uh, that's the last, right. you know, thing Gut sees as the claws, the apostle holding him, you know, you know, we actually see it going through his eye, and uh, then Femto just lets her go, and she falls to the floor, and then she's, you know, she's again in a, in, I guess, unconscious. Right. The the effect here of the blood covering the vision of the frame. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah, it's great. Even, even and then the full page shot of Guts screaming with a thing in his eye. Yeah, ca- looking almost inhuman on the ground there. Still, his sword still yeah, in Yeah, with Casca at the foreground, lying on the floor like that. You know, it. Uh, right. It's you know, reminisce. say it reminds us of uh, what's just taken place. You know, the infamy of it. I will let you introduce Skull Knights breaking in because that's something you really enjoy. So go ahead. You know, we have this scene of utter despair. Guts is, you know, like, Casca is broken. She's lost her mind. She's been violated in front of Guts. Guts himself is powerless. He's pinned down. He's, you know, pretty seriously wounded now. And he can't do anything. And then, the best part of the entire series, of course, <laughs> the, the Black Suns cracked. And that's, a, that's so great. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm such a fanboy for this scene. You know, like, the the because... I saw the anime first, and you know, like that's the part I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to to happen. And when I saw the sun cracking, and you're like, everybody looks up, and then the fucking skull knight comes out, and that's ah, that's beautiful, man. I have tears in my eyes. It's so beautiful. I so, actually uh, saw the the manga first at this point. Yeah, I know, I know. You, okay, you, you told me before. Well, well, go ahead. You can. Uh, the only thing I wanted to comment on the the sun breaking. First of all, the I love the the fact that there's an effect like. Yeah. shattering yeah, but also uh, that the the sky itself is acknowledging how odd this is this is yeah. happening you know the faces in the sky are all their, their attentions are all tur- towards the sun yeah everybody's looking yeah it's, it's true you're right to 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 what say to uh, precise it uh, everything is looking at that and you know actually it's, it's pretty great even you know i like the, the look on ubik's face he looks you know like he's puzzled you know like mm. what what's going on and um and yeah, I think it's you know like one of the most badass scenes in uh, in in the manga, and uh, which does include guts. But you know, yeah, it's it's pretty fucking cool. And of course, right as he, obviously as he comes out, he you know the skull knight uh, slashes at Void, you know, which you know is uh, in an ever cooler fashion. Void doesn't even move, but there's yeah. just some kind of you know uh, transdimensional thing that opens and reflexes, you know, uh, his blow right back at him, which is in Paris, and they have this. Uh, Wordless exchange, obviously, which I know you also are a big fan of. Well, I mean, I, I think the fact that the paneling suggests some kind of glance they're sharing here. Uh, oh well, yeah. I don't think it's incident. I don't think it's incidental. I think it's meant to be like that. As in, that's after the attack has already been repelled. Then yeah. they share this look. As in, yeah. 
I mean, I'm not going to try to put words in their mouths or anything, but you can kind of sense a relationship there. That's all. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, we don't have to, you know, like uh, Void opens his little client bottle or whatever, and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Skylight blocks it. And then, you know, it's, again, it's frozen in time. This lasts just a fraction of a second. But, you know, they have this exchange, this look, and, you know, it doesn't really, you know, say anything, but, yeah, it's implied, you know, it's implied. So You you mentioned the Klein bottle, and I just wanted to point that out, because I don't think we've mentioned that in the forum in, like, several years. But So for newer readers, the Klein bottle is a, a mathematical construct where a fourth-dimensional, it's a fourth-dimensional shape represented in two-dimensional space. Is that right? Uh, no, actually, I think it's a... Two-dimensional uh, surface of plane, which is represented in three dimensions, uh, mm. which is, <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's, the point of it being is it's like a, it's a closed space. It's a simple single surface, but uh, you know it has no end. Like it has no end. You, you go, you know, you can't just leave it. You know, it's a surface that is connected to itself, and that's why it's right. uh, supposed to be in two dimensions because it's a way for it to be, you know. But yeah, you know, actually, fuck. I wonder if I'm not seeing bullshit. Maybe it's four dimension. I, I believe I, it is. There's a, there's a, there's some kind of relation to the fourth dimension here, and you know, the the point being that voids tapping into power that's like not meant for natural reality, I guess. Yeah, of course. Well, it's definitely. Let me check it. What do they say? And I guess the, it's always been interesting. I mean, regardless of the definition of it, the shape of it evokes a Klein bottle, and the fact that Mira is even yeah. referencing that in some way is just interesting. Well, it's, yeah, it's not exactly a climb bottle, but right. Uh, it's kind of it, the little, little uh, the the contour we see within the body kind of suggests that. Yeah, it's a yeah. reference to it, but the thing is, it's not really possible for a climb bottle to exist in three dimension. Yeah, like I said, it's it's supposed to be a two dimensional thing. It's a it's a plane, but right. uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it's a, it's a plane that exists in three dimensions. So that's why it's you know a bit like a mind fuck. But uh, yeah, and that inspired from that, and the point being that it's a uh, uh, you know, constructs that reflects back anything that enters into it. That's how it's used, you know, by void here. Right. So, yeah. Sorry, that's that's the only thing I want to interject. I'm sorry for that long tangent. No, no problem. It's it's an interesting... You know, we, we actually don't get to see... We haven't, you know, seen much of the Golden's power in general. So, it's, it's pretty cool to see that one. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to talk about it. Anyway, yeah, as uh, the Skull Knight then, you know, moves on, he just gallops down the the hand, and, you know, many flying apostles try to attack him, stop him, and he just, we actually, I, I love that we we don't even get to see his arm or his weapon or anything mm-hmm. like that. They are around him, and there's a shot of him at the bottom where you just get a feeling of motion and a big, you know, sound effect, and then they're all sliced into, you know, he's just diced them up, you know. People have often asked, like, why why do you name the site Skullnet.net? It's like for scenes like this, where it's just like it's just the coolest. It's some of the coolest action in the series, I think. Yeah. In terms of like what's being shown on screen and how mysterious his actual technique is, uh, to have them slice so cleanly and like like sashimi just all over the place. Yeah, and and he's also it's interesting because he's a, a good counterpoint to Guts. You know, like Guts is his guy. He's his iconic sword is huge. He just, you know, like he fights quickly, but you get the feeling that there's real weight to what he's, you know, blows. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the Skullite is a guy with sword and shield, you know, and mm-hmm. he's just, you know, he, he doesn't have, he just slides so fast. You, you don't even see things moving. And, you know, and it's just, very exacting cuts, too. You know, all these things, yeah. they're, they're very clean 
and yeah. they're only a thorax or the head, the joint. They're always very, you know. Yeah, uh, he, he's almost like you know a butcher. You know, he's just yeah. <laughs> cutting, cutting parts. Then there's that point, you know, like there's a huge apostle that's blocking him, and he he does this maneuver where he just jumps upside down and slashes him through the middle of the face, you know. And we also see that he slices his hands, you know, his forehands. Right. <laughs> you know? He's a little, even the little hands, yeah. Yeah, even the little hands. And, you know, that's this kind of, uh, how to say, this kind of detail that's, you know, it's pretty, pretty badass. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he arrives to Femto, of course. Uh, and Femto actually reacts, you know, uh, I think, you know, I, I always get the feeling that he slowly pulls up his hand, even mm-hmm. though it must be fast because Knight is going pretty fast, and just, you know, extends his hand and closes his fist. And we can see as Knight, you know, uh, notices it and reacts, and he probably dodges. Right, and or bounds off of something. But <laughs> yeah. I think what's interesting is, is, is what it does to the Apostles, because it's, like it, it's not like it pulls Apostles in from multiple spaces. It's like it just takes that part of mass of reality and just compresses it, you know, taking parts of apostles and, and just a giant yeah. sphere and compressing it. Yeah, it's just, you know, like you said, yeah, a sphere of matter, no matter what's mm-hmm. in it, and just compresses it to a small ball. And uh, well, the guys that went in the middle, just too bad for them. And you can see that, you know, I mean, first, Femto doesn't give a shit about the guys that died, you know, they are just like nothing. <laughs> but he actually, he's looking at his hand and... Like, you can get a feeling he's curious, you know, or surprised, or at least he's pondering his powers, you know. Yeah. It's something he did instinctively, but, you know, he's curious about what he can do, what the extent of his power is. Yeah, and I took that as he's impressed by the, this power, this newfound power that he has. Yeah. Even though, again, we don't get to see much of a reaction, except he's just looking at his hand and doing nothing. Sure. And in that time, in that, you know, one or two seconds it takes... Uh, the Skull Knight, you know, grabs Guts and Casca and just jumps back in uh, some supernatural way and flows towards the exit. Right. And then we get uh, Femto again extend his hand to crush. He he looks at Guts on the Skull Knight, you know, on the on the horse, and then you know the Skull Knight goes through. So mm, this scene is is a bit you know special. I, I think we've had a disagreement about this in the past. But oh yeah, we've, we've probably talked about this m- many many times. The um, way I've always seen it, I'll start. The way I've always seen it is that, you know, in that time, Femto looks at Gus and some kind of I don't know hesitates to kill him, you know, ponders. Well, that's you know too long, and the Skull Knight just you know like he let go, he let that you know opportunity slip. And Skullite just leaves, and so he just again looks back at his hand. So that's how I interpret this scene. It's a weird, it's a weird moment because if you buy the theory that he's hesitating because he has some kind of special feelings for guts, then you're completely tossing aside what a God Hand member is and and what Griffith did sacrifice to obtain this body with no feeling and this coldness. And this is th- you're talking about someone who just did what he did. To exact revenge against him, this, well, this one person. So I don't know. I don't think. Go ahead. Well, the thing is, by hesitating, I mean he's just, you know, I don't know. In any yeah, case, but I'm saying it's not like it's not a benevolent hesitation. You oh know? no, no way. It's not like he's saying, "Oh, but he was my friend." You know, it's it's not oh, that. It's, it's not, something else. It's, no, it's not. It's not what I mean. It's more like you know, looking at, you know, how to say, looking at him one last time before he just crushes him. You know, sure. That, that but even stuff. that, even even that, to me, is going too far. Well, you know. I, I, yeah, go okay, go ahead. No, no, just, you know, go go ahead with what you were saying. <laughs> Damn it, because now I have to explain. 
I just don't think Femto as a God Hand member would even hesitate like that. I, I think it, it must have just been some kind of fluke, or even maybe he tried to do it. Because what happens afterwards, he's, he, looks, he looks at his hand. I think that his power, I mean, might maybe, have just not worked. Well, maybe his range, what, he was too far, that kind of stuff. It's possible also that... Uh, uh, by that time they were too far you know yeah. the thing is you know we see you know these you know frozen frames but you know by the time you see there's a shot of the skull knight then you see he's already like midway through to the, yeah. the sun so he's already pretty far uh, but you know yeah it can be interpreted in different ways you know uh, I, I guess I just I don't buy I don't buy that there's some part of Femto that held back because Guts is his buddy well, you know, I see know, that a, I see that a lot well, me, me neither. When I say hesitate, it's not really that he let him go because he, he had pity or anything like that. I mean, this is a guy, like, you know, at the school night on intervened, Guts and Casca would have been, you know, killed, you know, probably mm-hmm. eaten by apostles. And, you know, Femto would have watched dispassionately or maybe even go on to do something else because he didn't care. But, uh, yeah, my point is that, you know, we see he extends his arm and, you know, he looks at Guts and, you know, you know, just that, that, you know, maybe just that split second of looking at him, it's, you know, too late. And the connect is already too far. Yeah. And uh, and that's it. So maybe, yeah, uh, maybe he tried and he was out of range. But, you know, in any case, you know, he, le- he let him go. And, yeah, I agree that he didn't he didn't let him go out of pity. That's not, uh, I don't think that's what happened here. And I mean, it also says something, not just of Femto, but of the others as well, that what just happened didn't necessarily bother them. They're like, oh, that was interesting. They're actually kind of excited by it. It's, a, yeah. it's basically a sideshow at the end of well, the, the, of the that, great movie, you know? Yeah, the thing is that it has, you know, essentially no effect on them. I mean, it doesn't, you know... Well, you know, the Skull Knight tried to, to get a shot at Void, but he failed, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, and that, that has no, no... No one cared about that. And uh, that he managed to, you know, I would say grab Guts and Casca and go away. Again, it has no, absolutely no impact on the God Hands. They, they don't care. Because uh, once the sacrifice is performed, once you know uh, people are branded, uh, whether they live or die has no, I'd say it, it has no, I'd say bearing on the effects. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much it has no bearing on the events. Well, Ubik actually talks about that, and he says you know a, 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 an unprecedented thing happened at the temporal junction point. Uh, although he qualifies it as a minute, a, a minute event. You know, yeah. I minute change. And, uh, you know, I, I think actually how gleeful Ubik is and how Salon smiling, it's, it really just evokes how powerful they are, that something like that could happen, that they're just like, mm, well, oh, well, whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also, uh, it's also uh, a bit of a praise for the Skull Knight, you know, that he, he could manage something like that, you know? Like, oh, yeah. What a bold, what a badass move, you know, yeah. to ride in there like that. But, uh, yeah, but for it was, you know, for you know how much bad as it was it's still just you know like it, it's of no consequence well at least that whole suggests it to be because so uh, you know what you know something we didn't talk about that we should before we move on is skull knight's reasons for coming in you know he strikes at void immediately <laughs> turns and gallops towards yeah Fimto, well the, uh, dodges I, an attack gats, <laughs> gathers guts and casco so you know, the way i've always seen it is you know the skull knight you know bothers to appear to guts and to warn him a year before he bothers to come and to warn him and to tell him to be prepared and you know then he actually goes through and you know I, you know I don't think uh, getting a shot at void was 
why he came, you know. It's mm -hmm. something like he, he came and on the way, you know, there was a hand and he just, you know, took a shot because, well, you know, why not? That's who he is. But to me, it's pretty clear that his intent uh, throughout the whole uh, event was to actually rescue Guts and Casca was there, so he grabbed her as well. But yeah, to me, it's pretty clear that Guts was his uh, goal the, the, the entire time. And it's hard to say. It, you know, it's evidenced by the fact he actually recurringly comes to Gus, you know, saves his ass when uh, at times, and you know, gives him advice. And I think the Scar Knight is, you know, forging an ally. That's what mm -hmm. he's, that's why he's been doing. He's, you know, uh, rescued him because he knows his valor. He knows, you know, his fighting prowess, and he's trying to gain an ally against the God End. We actually, we'll, we will get to it in this episode, but you'll see Skull Knight commenting on. Uh, guts abilities of always battling the ghosts outside uh, in the in the, the grass. Yeah, and, you know you can you can kind of get the sense that he's he's basically making an investment in you know a potential here for guts being a good ally against the god hand. Yeah, but I I, I agree with you a hundred percent that he was there for 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 guts. Casca just happened to be there as well, and the fact that I don't I don't think you could ask Clint to, to weigh what was more important. You know I think he would have. I think striking a void was important to him, well, but you know, it wasn't why he was there. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, you know, he struck at, at void, like, I don't know, if things had been different and Slan would have been there instead, would he have struck at Slan instead? I think so, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean, I just think that's, that's not what happened, though. It, it, it happened to be void, you know, I think that's where we draw all the meaning from. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, uh, how to say, I'm not saying it's not important that he, you know, struck at Void. And I think mm -hmm. he went for Void uh, probably specifically, you know. But yeah. at the same time, he erupted and he just struck at him right away. And, you know, I don't think, how to say, I don't think he could have planned uh, this, you know, very precisely. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think he gave it a shot. But, yeah, it's just, you know, at the hand being on the other side and, he would have just gone and taken Gus and Casca and left, and that would have been it. Right. Just like he tried to, to you know, attack Femto when uh, Femto was on top of Ganishka, you know. Yeah. Even though that backfired. Which is actually interesting because, you know, for all his prowess, for all his power, for all his awesomeness, uh, the Skull Knight is just, you know, he can't, he, he hasn't managed to, to do any serious damage to the Gunnan so far. Yeah, well... They're also quite powerful, of course, and they don't even exist in the physical world. Anyway, let's uh, maybe move on. Sure. Um, Slan's commenting on uh, it's possible for impossible, or it's, it is possible for unprecedented things to happen because they don't, they're not omniscient, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then, but Slan turns to Void, or at least is directing it to Void, but she said perhaps this too was, was meant to happen, and then Void just has this blank panel. You know, it, relatively larger panel than the other ones on the page, you know, looking ominous, or just looking. Let's just say looking. Well, it's just a panel of him, uh, yeah, and he doesn't answer. And it's I a pause in the conversation, though. She's she's leaving it off for Void to say something, or at least mentioning something that he might comment on, and he chooses not to say anything. And I think it's, uh, you know, the fact, you know, I think we should talk about the fact that Void is pretty clearly the leader of the God Hand. Sure, yeah, wow, we haven't even broached that yet. He's he's the one that, you know, how to say, presides over the ceremonies, and he's, uh, you know, like, from for example, from this panel, we can infer that he's a resident uh, expert 
mm-hmm. on uh, causality and you know uh, the way events are meant to be that kind of stuff and, and Skull Knight when Skull Knight's talking to Void at the beginning he says perhaps you know Void would say that this too was part of causality yeah so it's like Void is like the, the kind of like the, the authority on causality and things like that which is what Salon's talking about in this conversation yeah so yeah, there, she's. I mean, in a way, she's deferring to Void's experience or, or authority here on the subject. And again, he chooses not to talk here. So then she continues the conversation, saying, "Either way, you know, a leaping, a jumping fish can't disturb the flow of the river." Yeah, um, which is uh, which is an interesting, actually, an interesting analogy. In that it uh, is. You know, what's what's interest, What's most interesting about it's first of all, it's a fantastic like visual analogy and an explanation for the relationship between humans and causality and, and the, even the idea of evil in the god hand but also the fact that the wording was re- repeated by the skull knight in volume 18 the fact that they share the language usage really well, implies some kind of yeah it's not the same analogy though but uh um, it's close yeah it's similar but it's not the same it's uh i actually think we shouldn't you know relate it to too much because it's, it's really well yeah yeah of course yeah they don't exactly say the same thing yeah well, you I know, feel like what Skull Knight says is like part two of the analogy that Salon begins. No, I don't agree with that. He's talking okay. about a fish, you know, making ripples. But uh, here it's, you know, it's a close thing. It's a close analogy, but it's not really the same thing. Uh, I, I guess I we'll think, get to that in five volumes. Yeah, I think people often get confused by equating the two too much, you know. Okay. That's why, that's why I say so. But uh, in any case, it's pretty interesting you know, it shows how you know it is that even, even by if the skull knight can you know like leap out of the water and do something that was unplanned, you know, in any case, you know, he just falls back into it and the flow right. itself is unaltered, so it has just minor consequences. <laughs> and so, Slan talks about with five god hand born, the hand is complete, and the. Um, Actually, she doesn't say the hand is complete. Sorry, she just says the, the fifth <laughs> yeah. angel has been born. Yeah, and you know, it's a time of darkness. You know, that's actually that's that's pretty cool. You know, she how to say uh, explains that you know the the you know age of darkness is coming. Right, and she, the, we have this juxtaposition, just juxtaposition of different things. Which is very, it's hard to decipher exactly what the hell she's talking about. She, she's talking about these things coming into, like, co- collision during the time of darkness? Well, you know, actually, yeah, I, I, I think she, you know, implies, you know, it's what she says at the end that, you know, uh, darkness will uh, eclipse light, you know, in every case, every occasion. So wickedness mm-hmm. will, you know, uh, how to say, eclipse sacredness. Uh, illusion will eclipse reality. Hatred will beat love. You know that kind of stuff. Ah. And um, it's 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 the dark horse translation I'm reading it. It's it's fucking terrible. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty bad. But like I mean, there's there's actually a typo and a key part here, and there's there's missing words during that juxtaposition. It just says hatred, comma love, hostility, comma hope. It's it's bafflingly bad during a key point in the series. Yeah, Very frustrating. That's weird. But, you know, well, I mean, it's, unfortunately, I've said it before, but Dark Horse is just, you know, I mean... Sure. It could be, yeah, it could be better, man. It could be a lot better. Yeah. But, you know, that's just, you know, that's what we get. In any case, yeah, I, I think at this point she's saying that, you know, yeah, uh, just darkness and 
you know bad things will uh you know how to say beat or eclipse or just you know how to say overcome uh you know positive things and uh that's what you know is the edge of darkness sure and, and it, the the significance here being that the implication is that with Femto, now that they have five members, they can enact their true plan and bring about the Age of Darkness. So, yeah, it's like, and it, yeah. we see what happens. Of course, is you know the question then becomes, what is the Age of Darkness? You know, I've yeah. seen people across the years say that the span of time between uh, you know Femto's birth and Femto's incarnation was a dark period for human civilization with the spread of the Kushina Empire and all that. But no, that's but that yeah, that wouldn't be the full scope of what they're talking about. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, the plan that they're envisioning with Femto being a part of, a key part of it begins with Femto being incarnated. Yeah. And that's like the, he's, he's the vanguard for the rest of the well, God hand. So I, I think, uh, I don't think it begins with that, but yes, that's, Oh, I mean, they, they set in things, surely things were in motion. Absolutely. I guess what I mean is him coming to the physical world, you know, yeah, it's, it's not like, the Age of Darkness is over then, yeah, you know. Yeah, they went into, like, second or third gear, yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, like, uh, picking up speed, if, if you will. But, right. yeah, and I, actually I like that scene because, you know, the way, that's the way we leave the eclipse, you know. You know, mm. we sort of go away, you know, and, you know, that ends with this darkness and we see the faces and it's almost like we are, you know, following the skull knight, you know, in going through the the sun, you know. Like you see all these faces when when there she speaks of you know uh, how to say uh, hatred, love, and everything like that. You see all these faces with that you know some kind of I don't know mm-hmm. dimensional thing in the middle, and then you see that tunnel with the faces, and again there's darkness and there's something. Uh, it's almost like we are following the skull knight through a tunnel, you know, that leads away from uh, from that. I don't know. That's uh, I've never thought of that before uh, about actually what it is we're supposed to be seeing other than the the ending of the ceremony. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. But I, I, there's this, like, swirling pattern that happens on the page before, you see, yeah. uh, where all the text is overlaid. Uh, and then we see that again, continuing on. I don't know. It seems like we're just kind of traveling. You're right. It's like we're traveling forward. Yeah. Exiting the eclipse, you know. I, right. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to be following the Skull Knight in this or if it's just something. But in yeah. any case, yeah, that's, we, we can tell we are exiting the, the, that, that particular place. Sure. And then we so then we're shown outside where poor Zod has his arm severed off and yeah. he's just finding it. You know, you can kind of envision that. You know, I like how it starts with the arm and then Zod arrives and yeah. picks up the arm. It's just a cool kind of directorial decision there. Um, and then we see, you know, Rickert still in the background, you know, yeah. saying, oh, I'm Sugoi, you know, reminiscing the fight that just happened. Yeah. Uh, I love this panel of yeah. Zod and Skull. I wish that was a fucking statue. That's amazing looking. Yeah, but it would be, uh, I think it would be a bit big to make these two characters. <laughs> but yeah. And but it's also nice to show the scale of those two guys together. You don't you don't get a good, good sense of that often when you're seeing them next to each other. This is a good sense of their scale. Yeah, and to see, I like the fact that, you know, Rickett comments on how, uh, you know, the Skull Knight didn't just match Zod in battle, but he, he was better than him, you know. Right. It also it also shows you know uh, the kind of level and it, again it's it both a compliment to the Skull Knight and to Zod because you know like this is a guy that managed to break through the eclipse and everything and Zod actually you know like survived the the encounter you know so continually survives their encounters <laughs> yeah wow. volume twenty one and all that so 
Um, yeah, so Skull Knight arrives. Like the, the effect is very cool. You know, the kind of the, the lightning. Yeah. You can, can kind of sense like, you know, Terminator, you know, when the Terminators arrive in the present <laughs> yeah. time. He just kind of like lightning evoking. Explodes for, yeah, from the lightning, you know, that's right. created and just, you know, arrives right in front of Rickard. And actually it's interesting because Rickard is, is a bit far from the from that place, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Skull Knight, you know, you know, bolts all the way through there. So There's a couple things here. Uh, yeah, in addition to the position, the position that Skull Knight exited on, the fact that Rickert is here, Rickert has elf dust, yeah. and the fact that um, the cave is where they end up. There's a lot of serendipity happening here yeah. that doesn't necessarily benefit the God Hand. You know? Yeah, and so interesting. Uh, several events layered upon each other. Uh, yeah, to yeah. benefit the heroes and not the villains. It's a yeah, it's a lucky thing that Rickard was there, that he had been traveling with a caravan where Puck was, and you can actually see the Skull Knight notices. He can feel that you know there's you know uh, elf powder in that uh, in that right. bag, you know, and that's why he how to say he brings them to to him because he recognized yeah. him having saved him before. You know, it's so yeah. In, in a way, it's uh, like you said. There's a lot of you know beneficial stuff happening. I mean, it's lucky, mm-hmm. lucky coincidences. Or something, yeah. And the Skull Knight actually says so. They are not yet, you know, meant to die. Right. It's, uh, he's so very, what's us say, authoritative. It's like, it's like he wondered himself how he would get them to safety, and this happens to fall up right in his lap. Yeah, know? pretty much. Um, anyway, he, he dumps, literally dumps Guts and Caskell on top of Rickard, you know, yeah. and very tersely tells them to heal them that there's no time, and he's in a hurry, you know, he says, because of course, when the ceremony ends, the apostles will come spilling out of that whole yeah. area, so. Then What's nice is, you know, there's some comedy here, there, the super deformed Rickard, uh, yeah. several different panels of him looking very comical, despite the surroundings. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I like, you know, the way Zod appears behind the Skull Knight, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Rickert is scared, but, you know, uh, how to say, the, the Skull Knight is very calm, you know, and just, you know, oh, yeah. him, go on. It's, it's very, you know, all of this is very, yeah, it's, it's very funny. and uh, it's, it's it's just super badass, like, Zod appears behind him, like, towering over him, and he actually is growling, and then he turns the page, and Skull Knight says, oh, don't bother, don't bother, continue, you know. Yeah. Never mind this. And uh, yeah, and he, and he, you know, he doesn't even turn towards Zod until like halfway through the conversation. He yeah. shows him his back. You know? He doesn't care, but <laughs> it's also you know, so it's both badass, but it also shows you know, I think it's it's uh, also a way for Mira to a bit you know, insert a bit of comic relief in after you know such a loaded you know uh, series of events you know. And it's a bit like, you know, the knife, you know, what's say flying and almost hitting Ubik, you know, it's, uh, it shows that Mira's always been, you know, what's say sensitive to this kind of balance, you know, not yeah. being just, you know, dark for being dark, you know, but, uh, mixing things up a bit. Right. And, you know, we get a little bit of insight into their relationship as well that, you know, they're settling an old dispute or an old battle and that Zod's telling him that, you know, just because, you you know, he slices his arm off, it's technicality, our fight's not over, you know, Zod <laughs> wants to continue. But then he sees that Guts is still alive and that uh, yeah. impresses him enough to want to postpone it. Yeah. So they're like, they're, like, they're like two old gentlemen, you know, they're at a duel, right? And then something comes up, oh, I have a more pressing issue, good lad, so let's put this off. Yeah, it's like they're, they're playing chess. And I like that, yeah. you know, I like that uh, Skull Knight asks him to delay and he's just, you know, right. 
he doesn't want to, but upon seeing Guts, he reconsiders. So, uh, you know, again, like I said before, it's, you know, Zod's character starts as just an apostle, you know, albeit mm -hmm. a, a cool one. But, you know, I think these scenes, you know, this series of scenes, even though he's not shown much, but it develops his character immensely. And, uh, and from now on, every time we see him, his character is usually developed and deepened and, uh, you know, expanded upon. And, uh, you know, I, I think it will end up you know, being much more than he was even at this point. Right. Um, Rickard's given some, you know, brief treatment to Guts and Casca, enough to transport them. And Rickard then asks what has happened inside, you know. that It's interesting that, you know, to consider that Rickard's completely in the dark, not just about what happened to the Eclipse, but even Griffith's condition. Yeah. You know, he wasn't with the rescue party when they got Griffith out of the cell. He doesn't even know that much. Yeah, he know? doesn't so. know anything. He just knows there was this, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, weather event. And, uh, right. you know, the skull night came. You know, the, you know, I, I like how Mirada sings the fact, for example, when Rickett sees Zod on the Hill of Sword, he doesn't know who it is at first, you know? Mm -hmm. he, right, yeah, the human form. Yeah, the human form, because he only sees him, you know, uh, as an apostle. So, yeah. uh, you know, these little details, you know, are, are pretty pretty fun, you know, pretty pretty nice. Right. Uh, yeah. And so Skull Knight just tells him that there's no one left. Yeah. And, uh, and Rickards just sit there to wonder. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing I like is that Zod, what to say, he's delighted that God survived. And he's actually almost, you know, you know, he's also telling them they should hurry before the others come out. So yeah. he, it shows his independence. He's really not, mm -hmm. you know, he's really not in it, you know, like the others. He's just, you know, he just follows his own, how to say, his own goals. That sentiment, though, that sentiment really is evocative of why he intervened at Weald and why he intervened at Doldry. He doesn't want, I mean, a death like that would be useless, you know? Yeah. For someone like Guts. He, he favors the strong, yeah. It's, it's uh, the same way that when they first met, you know, he wanted Gus to show his strength. You know? Right, and uh, and he was amazed at his strength, and yeah, like you said, Aldordri, you know, dying because his soul was broken would have been a waste, and uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I like the, the the way it ends is very enigmatic. With Zod looking on at the Skull Knight as he's going away, or he's traveling away, and mm. saying that you know he's wondering how Guts will will struggle and survive, how he'll endure the coming darkness as a as a branded one mm. that's all we got time for today guys uh there's a lot of cool stuff still ahead in this volume and bleeding into volume 14 but that's where we're going to leave you i'm guessing the next vol the next issue or episode we're probably going to cover up till the end of the golden age that would make sense kind of 14.5 ish yeah so so stay tuned for that, and thanks for listening to this extra long edition, but we got through the entire eclipse now, so that's behind us. Hope you've enjoyed it, hope it was informative, and you learned something new, or just like hearing our voices. See you guys in a couple weeks. See ya!